What is it? It's your future. It's called a Stargate. Chevron 7 locked. Welcome to Walking Through the Stargate. I'm Brent. And I'm Zach. Woo-wee! Looks like the boys have some audio troubles. Well, I got some good news and some bad news, folks. Bad news first. Bad news is that uh, this little trouble's going to be coming in and out all through the episode this time around. I'll pop in and let you know when it's about to hit. I'll let you know about when it's going to stop, too. And I'm also going to let you know basically what's being said, so you can just skip right over that if you don't want to listen to some crackle crackle. But uh, if you want to suffer through, you just go right ahead now, you hear? I'll pop in some bookmarks, too, but uh, sorry for the trouble, folks. Now, this first part is just the intro. And if you skip to about minute three or so, you'll see that there's some good audio. Nothing really to hear, folks, just us rambling. This is episode 111, make a wish, and we'll be talking about Stargate SG-1's episode Redemption, parts one and two. This is the 111st episode, Brent. 111st! Oh, happy 111st episode, Zach. Happy 111st. This is nice. Okay, but, and, and, how did we get to 111 episodes? Well, it's because we're an independent podcast. That doesn't, whatever. We are an independent (laughs) podcast, friends. Uh, you can help if you want. If you want to help keep the thing independent, you can do so by uh, signing up on our little Patreon action, patreon.com slash walking through the Stargate. Uh, there is fun stuff inside the Patreon that people can get, including the ability to cast votes for rewatch. Zach will tell you a little more about that in a minute. But if you were saying to yourself, wait a minute, I know about Patreon. Patreon's full of stuff that only people inside Patreon get because that's the point. And I would be like, well, yeah, you're right. But we choose to do it It's not like it's different. I'm sure there's plenty of places that do it like this, but we do it this way, right? We make some special stuff and we put it on Patreon, but we put it on Patreon first, not only. Everything that we put on Patreon is going to make it into our main feed at some point. Uh, A couple of things had recently hit our feed about a month ago or so. We were taking a break between seasons five and six, uh, which was great having all that stuff ready to go because that just meant Brent, all he had to do was just schedule it. And then he got to sit back and have a nice, relaxing morning coffee. That's that was nice. That's right. So you're going to be able to hear all of our stuff and you're listening to our podcast right now, which means you found it. Congratulations. There is no prize, but whatever. The the prize is the podcast. You have found the prize and this is it. It's it's a glorious prize. But if you want to tell other people about the prize, you can people can find our podcast where most podcasts are found. It's starting to turn into that thing where I'm like, well, but we're not on that platform, which charges money. And we're not on that platform, which inserts ads into your show for you. And we're not on that platform. Where can you find us? We're currently on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Those are the major name brands out there. But get yourself a podcast aggregator. There's a lot of them. There's a couple that I really like. And if you type in the words walking through the the odds are good that you're going to find one that says walking through the Stargate. And, so, and if you don't, you can just keep finishing that sentence. Yeah, so, Stargate. Brent, Finish. I just want to tell you that yeah. uh, recently I switched over to the Overcast podcast aggregator. Ah, yes. Mm-hmm. Well, at the very... Okay, so it's it's on probation. I'm testing it. Ah, it, we're, we're gotcha. Sending, because, you know, it, it's it's new and you want to test it before you, you decide to just switch everything over to it. However... Uh, while I was doing that, I typed in walking yeah. into the search, and boom, walking through the Stargate came up on the list. Ah, so, really? Indeed. 
So there you go, friends. Uh, you know what? Other other folks should test that for us too. Just let us know. Absolutely. Just pull out that. Uh, you know, and you know, I mean, it doesn't have to be overcast. Uh, there's other things out there. Uh, I use overcast as it happens, but like, hmm, like maybe other ones do too. But point is, friends, if you want to tell other people how to find us, you could just say, yeah, just search for Walking Through the Stargate. You'll find it. Also, you know, we have other places too to get a hold of us. But before we get into those other places to get a hold of us, which also contain things like our podcast feed, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, see what mm-hmm. I did there? We do have a I particular see. thank you to give out. I see in our show notes, Austin, dude, you've been with us for a year on Patreon. Thank you so much. This is fantastic. Ah, so great to have friends supporting the show for real. Thank you so much for your support. It is extremely helpful. Thanks for those that joined recently. It's great. Um, it's it's. I like supporting shows that I listen to. Uh, uh, I'm sure you got you all feel the same way about supporting us, uh, and it's we're extremely grateful. Thank you so much for all that. Um, yep. So Zach. If somebody wants to let us know that uh, I did a great explanation about how to find our podcast, but in fact, it was quite a bit long and they didn't quite get it. And they would really like for us to just sort of sum it up and give it to them in a, in a nice, clean package. How might they reach out? How, how, might they, how might they let us know that? So if you want to share with Brent how he needs to make his introductions more concise and clearer <laughs> Or if you think that they are super duper clear and he doesn't need to change anything, or if you want him to try to do all of that in like French or Russian oh, or something. Oh, oh, um, oh, oh, gosh. Oh, no. Oh, no. Okay. So, okay. So, everybody, that was, that was a joke. Okay. We're not going to do this in other languages. Um, but if you want him to, you can, you can still, you can still email us. Uh, he's yes. not going to, but you can still ask. You can still send us the email. The email is walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com, which is W-A-L-K-I-N-G-T-H-R-O-U-G-H-T-H-E-S-T-A-R-G-A-T at gmail.com. There was a there was a bit of a hiccup in there, but I'm not going to point it out. You know, it's been a while. Hey, so, it was still darn good. Yes. Or you can go to Twitter and follow us at StargateWalking. Mm-hmm. And uh, see what's going on there. By the way, Brent, I neglected to say anything to you, but uh, uh, and I'm pretty certain that you did not put any fa- uh, Twitter reminders to send predictions and such. Oh, um, <laughs> we'll try to get. Yeah, we've been out of the loop for a while, so we'll try to get back into things. Gosh, I'm um, the worst. You can also go to Facebook, <sighs> walking through the yeah. Stargate. Uh, we got a Facebook page, a Facebook group. Go ahead and smash all of the appropriate buttons and, and <laughs> things. Like, <laughs> follow, subscribe. You know, if it says uh, sell your soul, well, don't you know, do that. I'll be a really good steward of it, but you don't need to do that. If somebody's saying s- to buy your soul, then all right, moving on. Look, you can Facebook all- takes like ninety percent of that. It's not even worth it. That is true. That is true. <laughs> so. You can also go to our website, WTTS.space. Space. Or if you can't remember WTTS.space, you can also go walking through Stargate.com. Yes, Either one will get you to the same place, and that will have links to the uh, RSS feeds. Yep. Um, is that correct, Brent? Right? I'm not That's lying. Right. You're not uh, lying. And so that will then allow you to find uh, our podcast uh, and get that on your new aggregator if that's the direction that yeah, you choose to you go. Um, so, or you can also go to patreon.com slash walking through the Stargate. And if you want, you can mm-hmm. join us there. We've got lots of different mm-hmm. options for mm-hmm. you. Um, 
Uh, in just a minute here, I'm going to go through the episode tally we have right now. We're getting yes. very close to some of these. Yeah. Pretty exciting. Now, I will say that one of the stretch goals we have on Patreon is that if we get to $75 a month, yep. Brent, you and I are going to watch Stargate Infinity, the cartoon, uh-huh. and mm-hmm. comment on it as we do the rest of the podcast. We uh-huh. are currently at $36 right now. That's close. Uh, which is exciting. Um, it's close. That's, that's about halfway there. Uh, uh-huh. And so if you want to participate in that, go on over to patreon.com and participate in that. Yep. So I did mention that we have an episode tally. So if you're a Patreon, you yes. get to vote for us to rewatch episodes and reevaluate them and look at them from a different angle. Um, and so those who are Patreon members get votes. Here is our tally. Stargate the mm-hmm. movie has eight votes, Brent. <gasps> Two more close. votes. And we'll rewatch the movie and put yep. that in as a Patreon special episode. That's Emancipation right. has one. Cold Lazarus has two. The Knox mm. has four. That's moving up in the ranks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Bane, the quote, yeah. height of television, it's has of television. six votes. That's number two currently. Woo! Touchstone has two. Seth has one. Forever in a Day has three. Ergo has uh-huh. one. 100 uh-huh. Days has three. Beneath the Surface has one. Tangent has three. Absolute Power and Red Sky have one apiece. And The Light has two. Aha. So Really good. If I like you, it want to participate that if you want to shape those uh episodes and hear what we have to say go ahead and join us on patreon that's awesome absolutely all right super fun that's that's a lot of fun now brent shall we dig into this not one but two-part episode there's two parts let's do it let's get into it so the director for parts one and two is Martin Wood, and the teleplay mm-hmm. for parts one and two is Robert C. Cooper. In uh-huh. fact, Robert Cooper was just writing the the uh, season opener, and he was writing, and he got to about like page fifty five, and he was like, "Huh, I'm not anywhere close to being done yet." And the average script for is like forty five pages long, and so he's mm-hmm. like, "Hmm." Uh, Brad, that's the creator. <laughs> think I have a two-part episode here. Um, and he does. Uh, this is clearly one go. story. Um, yes. And... Well, friends, here we are again. Another piece of good news and another piece of bad news. Bad news is that you're going to have to get yourself all the way to minute about 34 before this crackle stops. You just heard the start of it. It gets real bad. At about minute 22. I'll get you through some of the stuff here that uh, that Zach's going to be talking about. So you just don't have to suffer through it unless you really want to. Uh, we got our sales. A couple of things to say here. We got to say hello to Corn Nemec. Plays Jonas Quinn, doesn't he? We got some guest actors. We got Tony Amendola playing Braytech. David Hewlett playing Dr. McKay. Gary Chalk playing Colonel Chekhov. And uh, we got David Palfrey playing Anubis. Oh yeah, and Gary Jones playing Sergeant Walter Radar Harriman. Hoo-wee! That's some good acting right there. He also got some Christopher Kennedy action going on. He played Dr. Larry Murphy. He's an actor known to paycheck murder at 1600 and Stargate SG-1. Hey, that's his show. He did the voice for uh, Ted in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, the animated series. We got uh, Neil Dennis. He played Ryak. That was a boy. He was born in uh, 85 or maybe 87. We got some jokes going on in there if uh, you're willing to suffer through the crackle crackle. Uh, Let's see here. We got uh, Tobias Mailer. 
He played uh, Lieutenant Graham Simmons. He grew up in Yellowknife in the Northwest Territories. Isn't that nice? He's an avid surfer, too. That's some hardcore surfing in that Pacific water. Woof. Woof. Or maybe he went down to the warm water. Maybe he, maybe he wimps out. <laughs> anyway, uh, we got ourselves uh, Alex uh, Ponovich. Uh, he plays Shakrail. He's the dude that was playing, that was, uh, that was flying the shuttlecraft around, right? The, 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 oh, what's the name of that boat? I don't know. Cargo ship. You know that one. Anyway, we got ourselves some Aaron Douglas action. That's right. Best known as Chief Galen Tyrrell. Mm-hmm. You know him. He played the Jaffa Commander. Now, the original air date on this one was June 7th, 2002. Second episode aired a week later on June 14th, 2002. In the U.S., the number one song in the chart was Still Foolish by Ashanti. Can you believe that? And in the U.K., it was Light My Fire by Will Young. Now, Zach and Brent, they got on about how they didn't know what the song was. And then when Brent found the song and put it in the, put it in the music, it, it's basically a cover. He should have known what it was. And in the box office, Zach did a fine job trying to get all this stuff in, but this is also where the audio gets real stinky. <laughs> in the box office, the number one movie uh, for that first week was Some of All Fears. And then there was The Divine Sisters of the Yah Yah Sisterhood. And then there was Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. Whew. And then there was Bad Company. And then there was Spider-Man. And then the next weekend, everything got turned upside down. We got Scooby-Doo coming in at number one, and Born Identity coming in at number two, and then Windtalkers coming in at number three. Then the sum of all fears came back, and then Star Wars was back with with the attack of those clones. Those clones. Hello there. Hey, what happened on these days, right? Right around there, we got uh, the former heavyweight boxing champions in Atlantic City had a fight. Evander Holyfield beats Haseem Rahman by TKO. The fight was stopped in a minute 40 into the eighth round because of a giant welt in Rahman's third third eye. (laughs) Not in his third eye. (laughs) He was not seeing things with his chakra. No, no siree. And on June 2nd, the crime drama The Wire debuted on HBO. That's right. Can you believe that? June 6th, we had a near-Earth asteroid estimated at 10 meters explode over the Mediterranean Sea. I don't remember that. The explosion had a force of 26 kilotons, more powerful than the Nagasaki atom bomb. 10 meters. Whew. And uh, July, or no, June 11th, American Idol got started. You know that show. Simon Cowell, Paul Abdul, Randy Jackson, dog. That's what I'm talking about. Now, June 12th, NBA Finals. The new the Los Angeles Lakers beat the New Jersey Nets. 113 to 107 for a four-to-nothing sweep and a third straight title. Guess who was the MVP way back then? It was none other than Shaquille O'Neal. And he was in his third consecutive final series. Can you believe that? Yeah, on June 13th, the United States of America withdraws from the anti-ballistic missile treaty. Maybe they should have stuck with it with, uh, with those uh, meteors falling out of the sky. Hey, speaking of meteors, June 15th, another near-Earth asteroid missed the Earth by 75,000 miles, or about one-third the distance between the Earth and the moon. Brent makes a joke about a close shave in there. Now, this is where the audio starts getting pretty good again, so I'll just mention this one thing, and then I'll let you just jump right to it. Uh, there was the first, this was obviously the first episode to air on the Sci-Fi Channel, or wait, no, what? First episode to air on Sci-Fi Channel, previous seasons had aired on, oh, we're talking about this is the first Stargate episode to air on Showtime, or on Sci-Fi, we, we knew that, we, we knew that, yeah, it's all good, and, uh, yeah, if you jump yourself to a minute 30, oh, more like 38 minutes now, uh, you'll get right back into the action. Yeah, sorry again, folks. And then when we get the little poppy poppies, I'll be right back and let you know how to get away from them. I don't see how you could sp- condense this into a singular episode. No, that would be not really, one episode. really hard to do. 
there was depth. We'll get into it, but there were parts where it felt like it was getting stretched out a little bit, but I completely agree. There was no way that they were going to squish this into one. Right. Uh, actually, as it turns out, the first part, the first, uh, part, part one, uh, was about seven minutes long. And so they had to trim a little bit of that and they did move some of that stuff over to the other episode. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and part two was just a few minutes short. And so they did have to add a, a scene or two, um, for instance, the scene, we'll get to it a little bit, that has uh, Aaron Douglas, who played Chief Tyrrell in Battlestar Galactica. Yes. Uh, yeah. That scene there was added later um, to kind of pad that up a little bit. Uh, yep. It's a good scene, but it wasn't, you know, they had, they had to add that in there. Yep. Um, in any case, Martin Wood, the director, uh, this is his first and second directing credit of the season out of seven. So he's got seven directing mm-hmm. credits this season. Mm-hmm. And Robert Cooper has five writing credits. And this is, of course, gotcha. his first and second. Um, he does have another story credit later on that's not part of that five. Gotcha. As gotcha. we dig into this, we have to take a moment to say hello to Corin Nemec, who plays hello, Jonas Corin Nemec. Hello. Yep. Mm-hmm. So when I talked about him when we got to Meridian, according mm-hmm. to... Um, IMDB, there's somebody who says that his last name is pronounced Nemetz, or something like that, and yet, I was listening to an interview with him on one of my DVDs, and he announced himself as Corin Nemec, so given that, I'm going to go with Corin Nemec, uh, and trust that he knows how to pronounce his own name. Yeah, and, you know, he's probably, if, if he's doing, if he's saying anything that is different than what if his parents pronounce it Nemich, but nobody knows that it's pronounced Nemich, and he just goes, it's fine, it's Nemic, then, you know, that's still valid. As in, yep. like, you can still call him Nemic. He's calling himself Nemic. All good. Yep, absolutely. Okay, so we have several guest actors in this. Yes. We have Tony Amendola coming back as Braytech. We have David Go Hewlett. Woo! Tony Amendola. We have yeah, Hewlett, yeah. David Hewlett. That's Dr. McKay. He's uh-huh. returning uh, in this episode. Uh, we have Gary Chalk, who is Colonel Chekhov, coming back. Yep. Uh, I think this might be the first episode, maybe it's the second episode, that we actually hear his last name is Chekhov. I could be wrong with that. I can't remember. David Palfrey, who plays Anubis, shows up for a brief period in this episode. We have mm-hmm. Gary Jones playing Sergeant Walter Harriman in this yep. episode. And we also have several others. So I'm going to start with uh, Neil Dennis, who plays Ryak. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, Ryak, of course, has been in this show several times, but I don't think I've talked about him specifically. Um, And uh, so he is a Canadian-born actor. Uh, He was born on July 13, 1985, or perhaps 1987. It depends a little bit on where you go. Some places it said 87, mm-hmm. some places it said 85. Like, I don't know. Um, this episode here was filmed in 2002. Uh, mm-hmm. And if he was born in 85, that means he was 17. If he was born in 87, that means he's 15. As I look at him, he looks closer to a 15-year-old in this episode than a 17-year-old. Yeah. But that's still, you know, fuzzy. Fuzzy. Got um, it. But in any case... Um, let's see, he, um, his first appearance on television was at, in University Hospital in 1995 at the age of 10, or if he was born in 87, at the age of 8. It's a little bit hard to tell. 
Um, he, was, he was somewhere in there. Got somewhere it. in there. He also appeared in the Canadian television series 2030 CE, um, which is just right around the corner from now, but that happened you know, early on, so who knows. Oh, yeah, that's um, right. He's also provided the voice for Spike in X-Men Evolution, uh, and he's known for his portrayal of uh, Jose Merrill in A Girl Like Me, the Gwen Arujo story. Mm-hmm. I'm not certain if I pronounced that correctly, but there you go. Arajo. Arajo. So, I, you know, I, I copy and paste a lot of things. I don't want to right. read things until now. All sometimes. good. All good. Um, so, this uh, marks the first appearance of Ryak since the episode Family in Season 2. So, it's been, you know, yeah, three and a half or four years since we've seen him. Or maybe um, six and a half or seven. Uh, it depends on which one you look up. You know, we're, uh, whatever. <laughs> no, I mean, no, I know that that joke was technically incorrect. Whatever. It's my joke. All right. There we go. So, um, now, his IMDb credits end uh, in his early 20s. So, mm-hmm. right around um, 2002, 2003, 2008, somewhere in there. I can't remember the exact number. Um uh, where where his credits end. Uh, he still has an, an Instagram page that is reasonably active, active so you can follow him there. Um, and gotcha. he just, just basically his acting career, as far as I can tell, ended when he was, uh, you know, at the end of his childhood. You know, sure. He was fully adult. So that is Ryak, uh, Neil Dennis, who plays Ryak. Mm-hmm. Um, Another character that we have seen before, but I haven't really talked about, uh, is Tobias Mailer, who plays Lieutenant Graham Simmons. He grew up in Yellowknife, Northwest Territories. Uh, he's an avid surfer, and he likes to spend as much time as he can, apparently, according to IMDb, at his property on Vancouver Island, so good on him. Uh, he, his first big break in acting was, was in 1996, when he was he played a uh, role in Sabrina's The Teenage Witch on Showtime. So this is uh-huh. a TV movie in 1996. Um, in 2005, he played D'Artagnan in the series Young Blades. Um, he's been on the big screen in various uh, movies such as Disturbing Behavior, Wishmaster 3, Beyond the Gates of Hell, Cellmates, Avalanche Alley, Canes, etc. Now, as I mentioned, this is not the first time we've seen Lieutenant Graham Simmons. Uh, we first saw him in Season 2 when we had the episode Message in a Bottle. That's the episode where they go to this planet, they find the sphere, and they're like, it's a message in a bottle. It turns out to be this virus thing that's like infecting everything. It makes everything glow on the black light. And uh, do you remember this episode? I, uh, 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 Jack gets is this stabbed, stabbed in the, in the wall. Shoulder, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, Stuck yeah. to the wall for a while. Yep. yep. Uh, that's yep. the episode. I do that. uh, so gotcha. that's the first time we saw him, and we see him in several other episodes throughout season two, maybe into season three. Uh, however, we say goodbye to Lieutenant Simmons and Tobias in this episode. This is the last yeah. time we will see him. Gotcha. His very first IMDb credit came in 1995 when he played Boy at Park in the TV movie Frostfire. 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 Wow. Boy at Party. Boy hey, at party. I'm having a fun time at this party. Wow. That's a boy at a party. That's what I am doing. certain that's exactly how that happened. Hey, neat. <laughs> <laughs> 
Alright. We do also we have also Christopher have Kennedy, Christopher who plays Dr. Larry Murphy, versus the guy at uh, uh, Area 51, who uh, plays Mission uh, Command, plays Mission for the, the X302, X302 and all of that stuff. And all of that stuff. Yeah. Uh, he is an uh, actor is known actor for Paycheck in 2003, Murder at 1697, and of course his role in these episodes in Stargate Destiny 1. Destiny 1. Gotcha. Um, mm-hmm. um, he's, he's done mostly guest acting gigs throughout his career. However, in the early 90s, he did voice in Ted's Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, the animated series. Oh! For a minute, I'm like, wait a minute. Gotcha. Neat. Um, and while this and was while one of his earliest credits, the Militad, the Militad, his earliest credits, it mm-hmm. was not his mm-hmm. very first, his first came mm-hmm. according to I am going to in 1990, when he played the Soul Man in an episode of the series, series, My Secret Identity. Identity. Oh, okay. So, there you go, there's Christopher Kennedy as Dr. Larry Murphy. Larry Murphy. Um, um, we have Alex, Alex, uh, Alex uh, Ponovic. Ponovic. Uh, not mm-hmm. certain how you pronounce it. Certain how you pronounce it. He plays Shakral. He plays He's the, uh, the, uh, the uh, Jaffa who Jaffa brings the Teltek to Teltek. He'll be in Braytek. Uh, and then, uh, yes. and then, uh, ferries them over, ferries them over the planet. The planet. Uh, he, uh, was he born in Winnipeg. To his Croatian mother and Serbian mother and Serbian father. He's got that, he's got that, uh, that, uh, Type of look to it. Type of look to it. Uh, yeah. As a team, uh, as a team, team was in the heavy metal band, heavy metal band, which then eventually one thing led to another, one thing led to another, and into him around the acting. Let's see here. Let's uh, see. From a very uh, early, very early on, was also a boxer. He boxed a lot of boxing, a lot of boxing. And he used his athleticism as a stunt to be a stunt actor, which also helped him getting acting such. He's had a very long career. Very long career, one hundred, one hundred credits IMDb, IMDb, including a recurring role, recurring role, fourth season, fourth season, continuum, continuum. Which, which one was that? When was that? I that down. I didn't write that down. One of the biggest roles, biggest roles in Alex's career was when we got this role. We got Tom, Tom, developmentally, developmentally man, accused of murder, in personal effects, personal Bates, and Kathy Bates. For that role, for that role, he put on sixty-five pounds. Wow! Wow! Wow. Uh-huh. Which is one of the most which is one challenging and challenging goals of his career. His career. Gotcha. Is what he says. Uh-huh. What he says. Uh-huh. Um, um, and now, and now, let's see here. Let's see here. This, this, uh, uh, this, uh, part, this, uh, part. Oh, let's see here. Oh, let's see here. Um, yeah, I'm going to, okay. So yeah, this I'm part here, so this was part here was originally offered to, uh, Andromeda, uh, Andromeda uh, actor Hamilton Cobb. Hamilton Cobb. Uh, who was a uh, who giant, was a beefy, giant man. beefy man? I don't know Andromeda. Um, I don't know Andromeda. Well, well, but well, Cobb turned it down. Turned it down. So and so, Ponovic picked up this role. Picked up this role. Gotcha. Think, think. Think. We actually see him. We actually see him again in future episode. In future episode. I for certain. I for certain because I didn't look that close. Gotcha. So. So. Um, um, and then I want to mention, and then I want to mention, talk about that one, talk about a little place, he plays John the number one, who kind of, interrogates, interrogates, quasi-torture, quasi-torture, and such, teal and such, um, um, he, this is not the first time, this is not the first time, I seem to remember that, yeah, I, 
when I saw him, I'm like, hey, yeah. it's Aaron Douglas. Yeah. But then I forgot. Yeah. And then I was like, didn't we see him already once? But yeah. He, uh, now, when we saw him, his maternal instinct was he was one of, he was an apprentice. He was an apprentice of Braytex. And he got injured. He got injured. Mostly, what we see him, see him, is, see him you know, is, you know, I'm on the, I'm on the bed in the infirmary, infirmary type That's right. Type of thing. That's right. Um, um, personally, personally, I thought he should have gone. He should have gone in this scene. Uh, in this scene. Hey, hey, look, remark- you look remarkably like one of my former apprentices. <laughs> that would have been good. That would have been a nice tie-in. That would have been. Uh, that would have been good. But uh, they, they, uh, they didn't do that. So. So the original air date for Redemption, Redemption in parts 1 and 2 June 7, June 7th, June 7th, 14, 14, June 2002, respectively. In the U.S., they were still they listening to the Shonish by the Shonish wow. number one. That's number one. And, and if you recall, if you recall that, was yeah. one, that was what was number one way back when way we back finished season five. Season now, there was, uh-huh. only, now, there was uh-huh. only about a month or so between half, but still, half, but still, 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 to be alone with number one for that long yep. is pretty impressive. It's pretty impressive. Right. Um, and Foolish um, and foolish is number one for both the 17th and the 14th. In the UK, they were listening, listening to Fire by, by, by Will Young. And that also stays, and that also stays on charts for both of these two books. Gotcha. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what 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 I don't it is playing. It's it's playing. It's 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 a very it's a very nice slow ballad. Oh, you think so? Okay. Yeah. It's a slow ballad. Slow ballad. It's got some heart. It's got some heart in there. He's talking about this 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 woman's lights. This fire. He wants her. Maybe it's unrequited love. Who knows? If it is, but if it is unrequited love, that means that this song is all about some of his fears. It's just not one of the box office. Oh, uh-huh. uh-huh. uh, and what he's dreaming about uh, are the divine secrets of relationships, secrets of the secrets of the Yaga sisterhood. Uh huh. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm going here, you know. Now, now, what, now what you realize is that all of this is just a fever dream uh, because you, uh, because you watch, watch an episode two, two Attack, of Attack of the Clones, and you don't know what to do with yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, and uh, when, you wake, up, when you wake up, you realize that you were not alone when you watched Attack, Attack of the Clones. Watched Attack of the Clones. You had a lot of bad company watching with you. Watching with you. Nice. You realize that there was that one guy who said we should have watched Spider-Man and not Attack of the Clones. And you agree with him. <laughs> now, unfortunately, <laughs> the fever dream continues for another week, and you realize that you are now in an episode of Scooby-Doo, the movie. Oh, boy. Scooby-Doo is actually a trained assassin, and he's not actually Scooby-Doo, he's actually Jason Bourne, because the Bourne identity is there, and he's doing his things. Now, this is about wind talkers. Wind talkers is number three. I have no idea. Now, oh. all of this is to say four, that number four, the sum of all fears, this, this little segment is probably the sum of all your fears. And all of it begins because Star Wars Episode 2, Episode 2, Attack of the Clones, is still around. <laughs> wow. Holy cow. Good, good job. Good effort. Thank you. Uh, thank you. I'll appreciate the good effort. Yeah, yeah, you're going to get the Achievement good. Award on this one. <laughs> I got a participation. That's right. That's right. You did it. You did it, Zach. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, 
<gasps> delightful. That's hard. That's hard. That's hard. I believe it. I believe it that you that you consistently show after show. Let's say week after week. We're it's about to become week after week again for us. But um, like week after week, you dive into that thing and give it your best. That's really that's admirable. I like it. Well done. And I don't prepare for any of that. Of course, that's why it's hilarious. (laughs) Yep. All right. So, so what was what was happening at about this time in 2002 on June one? Uh, there was a boxing battle between Vander Holyfield, Holyfield and Haseem Rahman. And Holyfield wins in a TKO. The fight is stopped in round eight because there's a giant welt appearing on Rahman, above Ryan, Rahman's left eye. And they're like, might have seen a photo of that. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, maybe we should stop this. Yeah. Um, they were both uh, former heavyweight boxing champions and they were going at it in Atlantic City. Gotcha. On June 2nd, the crime drama The Wire, created by David Simon and starring Idris Elba and Dominic West, debuts on HBO. Nice. Yep. Uh, on June 6th, a near-Earth asteroid estimated at... Uh, there's an asteroid that comes to Earth. Um, ex- uh, it's about 10 meters in diameter explodes over the Mediterranean Sea mm-hmm. between Greece and Libya. I guess near Earth means it did it explode. Does that mean it exploded like in the atmosphere? No, near Earth asteroids or, are asteroids that are near Earth by strict definition. So asteroids typically hold an orbit that is stable-ish, ish, and so there's a bunch okay. of them that are near Earth, and that's the, those are the ones that we are most worried about because if it's coming up from way out, like. If it smacks us, there's like nothing we can do. Like there's, it's just like yeah, that that Fair that enough. that's inevitable. But these near ones are like, ah, I'm watching you. I'm watching you. Except for this one, this was tiny. But it's but okay. it was tiny, and yet it made a big big kaboom. Yeah, um, it had a, a force of estimated at about 26 kilotons yeah, that's a big of power, which is more powerful than the Nagasaki atomic bomb. Yeah. Boom. Uh, which is significant. I actually uh, was in Nagasaki. Um, it would have been a couple of years after this episode here. Ah, there you go. Um, and I got to see the uh, the uh, park there and the museum and mm-hmm. all that stuff. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. Um, so June 11th, a couple of days after that, uh, in between these two episodes, American Idol premieres oh. on Fox. Yeah. Uh, it was created by Simon Fuller. We, it had judges Simon Cowell, Paula Abdul, and Randy Jackson. That's right. Uh, and that became a giant uh, American phenomenon. Yep. Lasted for quite a long time. Uh, on June 12th, the NBA Finals comes to a conclusion when the LA Lakers beat the New Jersey Nets 113-107 for a 4-0 sweep of the series and the third straight title for the LA Lakers. Uh, Shaquille O'Neal uh, gets the MVP for the Finals, and this is his third consecutive uh, ser- final gotcha. series. Gotcha. Yeah, all right. Um, and then on June 13th, the United States of America withdraws from the Anti-Ballistic Missile Treaty. Uh-huh. There you go. And then on June 15th, we'll have another asteroid. This one's another near-Earth asteroid, 2002MN. Missed the Earth by 75,000 miles, about one-third of the distance between the Earth and the Moon. Yep. So I say 75,000 miles, and it seems like a really long distance. But when you're talking about 
uh, uh, space things. That's really not. That's very, not that. Yeah, no, not that. That's far away. that's that's pretty close. Yeah. Granted, we can have we can have far closer shaves and still be fine, but that one's a close shave. That was so. Was that a really big asteroid? You know, I don't know. I don't know. You're supposed to know these things, Brent. I'll make stuff up. Yeah. Oh man, it was it was it was a big one. It would have been a complete and utter like life-ending event oh, had it hit goodness. Earth. Well, yeah. Whew. Thankfully, it it missed us. Yeah. We're okay. And I think whew. what happened is that uh, somebody created a hyperspace little portal for just zoop, zoop, pop right through. That's how it missed us. You know, actually, as I was reading this, I was thinking about that episode failsafe. Yeah. When and I think that's how these things missed us. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, well, I mean, hundred percent. Obviously, I mean, we, we, we've now seen it. Yeah, That's right. absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so we do have some trivia for this episode. Yes. This is the first episode of Stargate SG-1 to air on the Sci-Fi Channel. That's right. Um, and in some ways, this uh, functions like a uh, pilot, series pilot. Um, yeah. You know, you've got some of the things going on there. Um, this episode features a brand new opening sequence. Did you notice uh, the opening of sequence? Of course I did. Of course I noticed the new um, opening sequence. Yep. And I thought to myself uh, that, like, I kind of was wondering why they hadn't done this opening sequence before. It was very um, tasteful and simple. And part of me was wondering if they just didn't have the detail on the model of the Stargate to the degree that they wanted to to make those shots look good. But I don't know. I thought it looked great. I don't know. Um, it does have a... So I think probably what ended more than anything else, what happened is uh, they had the the opening credits. Uh, so like at the very very beginning, if you remember, they actually did have like scenes of episodes for a while. Yes, and that lasted for a couple of seasons. Yep. And then those episodes became really old. Yep. And they didn't feel it was appropriate to continue to show those scenes, and the so they went to the generic. Uh, Egyptian Tutankhamen you know, mask or mm-hmm. the 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 the. Egyptian dude, whatever. Tutankhamen. Mm-hmm. Tutankhamen. We, we can call him Toot. King Toot. King Toot. In any case, um, we have that, and that was really dull and boring. And probably oh, yeah. my guess is that uh, uh, nobody allowed them to put in the budget a line Uh-oh. item for <laughs> new Reshoot credits. The credits. <laughs> um, yeah. But. When you get to sci-fi, yeah. they're like, okay, we need to polish some things up yep. and clean some things up and do this. Uh, and I was just thinking as I was watching these and you know the, the spin and the, the 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 camera angles around the gate and all of this stuff, and I'm thinking, gosh, that reminds me of early sci-fi channel stuff. Oh, and well, because it it is because it is. <laughs> um, uh, that could just be me projecting, but there you go. Yep, uh, and of course. Uh, you see Corn Nemec's name there instead of Michael Shanks. That's right. Because, you know, he's there. Um, now, it is an interesting thing that when Christopher Judge's name pops up, mm-hmm. as it's spinning around, uh, the glyph there that the camera kind of passes over is the point of origin for Chulak. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's a good At one. At least I like that's that. what IMDb or wherever else I went to find says. I... It's would have to go and do more checking. It's highly it's unlikely that internet nerds would let that. If it was an error, internet nerds would not let that stand. Yep, yep. Um, so at the beginning of this episode, 
uh, O'Neill gets injured, right? He has a knee problem, yeah. and so he's dealing with this the whole rest of the episode. Well, that was actually written into the story because about two weeks before they started filming, uh, Richard Dean Anderson called them and said he hurt his knee mm-hmm. and he had to have surgery. Um, what was he doing when he hurt his knee and needed to have surgery? Mm-hmm. He was carrying his daughter. <laughs> his daughter was three years old, and he slipped, and he twisted, and he did something to his yeah. knee, and he had to have surgery. Yeah. Uh, and so there we go. There and they weren't go. 100% certain that he would actually be able to be there for the beginnings of filming. Uh, it was, and they were able to get all that done. But they did have to. They did want to put that in there to make sure that there was a reason for his limp. Yep. And then, of course, since this takes a while to film... Uh, he started to not limp as much, and they had to remind him to limp occasionally. <laughs> Continuity, buddy. Continuity. Continuity. Keep limping. Yep. Um, we put the makeup now, scar over your eyebrow. You keep limping. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, the There is actually an intentional goof in this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, at roughly the 18th minute mark of the episode, there is a monitor that displays the time that the gate has been active yeah or maybe it's the count and it's reflected in the window and it's reflected in the right direction yeah yeah so that was actually done intentionally so that you as an audience would be able to to see the the countdown i know and be able to hold on to that without having to i still thought it was lame (laughs) and it's not a goof that's not a goof you're right it's not really a goof it it it, it's an intentional decision that that is inaccurate correct um so but yeah, it's all good. I mean, good-ish. Yep. Yeah. Sure, whatever. Uh, one thing that is kind of weird is that if you watch the, the tenths of a second, yeah, when they're supposed to be counting down, like like the seconds are going eight, seven, six, sure. five. Yeah. But the tenths of the seconds are going one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. You're kidding. Three, four, five, six, seven, I didn't eight, notice that. <laughs> <laughs> um. That's and then well, whatever. at yeah. the very end, mm-hmm. um, when they have that clip of the X three hundred two cockpit module uh, with the the parachutes floating down, yeah. that's Apollo. actually footage taken from Apollo thirteen command yeah. module. I recognize so, that. I recognize those Apollo shoots anywhere, man. Well, there you go. Come on, can't get anything um, past me, oh, except for your could. tens of seconds going up. <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything about that, Brent. I was just going to try for you. I mean, like, it's fine. It's fine. Like, what are you going to do? Like, like, go, go, go drop something in the ocean and film the parachute? Like, no, you're going to try to find some stock footage. That's what you're going to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so when you look at the name of this episode or these episodes mm-hmm. um, in different oh, countries, different languages, yeah. there is nothing exciting at all about it. They all... Are a translation of redemption. Oh, even the Germans. Even the Germans. Even the Wieder Gutmachung. Wieder Gutmachung. What? Oh, okay. I, I may or may not have pronounced that correctly. And if you are a German speaker and I screwed that up royally, I am very sorry. But there you go. Wieder Gut. Uh, something good making. So, again, good making. Uh, Wieder Gut. Is that? Is that? German is the best because it's just so on the nose. I think so. I th- I think I think that's uh uh would be something like uh to make something good again. Yes. Yep. <laughs> yep. You know, with the again um, good making. <laughs> the again good making, um, which actually makes a lot of sense. Yes, because that is that's kind redemption. of what redemption. Yeah. Okay. That's fun. So, shall we? 
dig into the synopsis. Yes. This is long. We got two episodes. Yeah, we got to get through this stuff. Um, all right. Let, let's, all right. Let's so are you, am I reading both, or are you going to read part two, because you did that one? I can read part two. All right. I'll read part one, okay. and you can read part two. Sounds good. Okay. Here we go. Part one. No. Don't do that. Don't do what? I, I don't know, but don't do it. I did it. I know. And now they're literally chasing us with spears and clubs. <laughs> oh, look at that. Now my knee is messed up. Sorry. Let's get going. Dial the gate. Carter dials the gate. Tilk runs to help O'Neill. Captain Hagman is clearly not ready for live on SG-1. The team rush through the gate, being chased by the people of P2X-374. And on the ramp, Hagman collapses after being shot with a trank dart. Number eight, uh, nine, if you count that one dude who only lasted like two hours on SG-1, is a bust. <sighs> SG-1 still needs a fourth member. Mm-hmm. Hammond welcomes the flagship team back to the SGC. They're still reeling from the death of Dr. Jackson, but Hammond also tells Sam that it's ready. It's done. What is it? I don't know. We don't know. But whatever it is, it's done. We'll have to wait for the opening credits to finish before we will find out. But whatever it is, it's ready. He was talking about the opening credits. Ah. It's done. The new opening credits are done. Take a look. The, we can watch them. That's okay. There it is. There it is. There it is. So, <laughs> episode Carter. Over. So, what's your thoughts, Zach? <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I thought the spinning Stargate was really quite nice. Yeah, it was. It was good, good, good change. Good change. Yeah. Uh, and they spelled all of the words correctly. They spelled all the words correctly? Like like Stargate and, and Richard and Dean and Anderson. and I see. For a beat, I'm like, I thought you were referring to that at one point they spelled words wrong, and I don't know. Anyway, this is not how we're okay. going to get through the synopsis. Let's carry on. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I will take us on lots of tangents, oh. but this one was all you. <laughs> Come on, I'm, I'm good for that. But, you know, it's actually appropriate that we talk about tangents because we are talking about the X-302 in a bit, which is the uh, development of yes, the X-301, right. which was first seen in, in the episode Tangents. tangents. See, it all comes there back together go. again. Yeah, that's what that's... In any case, yeah. Carter visits Jonas Quinn, who's taken up residency in Daniel's old office. He's watching the Weather Channel and eating grapes while committing to memory pretty much all of Jackson's writings. Carter feels a little uncomfortable with Jonas there. Jonas continues, and he asks her how she knows what color uniform to wear. Carter kind of ignores him and then asks if he'd like to take a field trip. Field trip. Now, Jonas is super excited about the prospect of getting off the base, and he asks where they're going, and Carter says, do you like surprises? And he says, yes, of course. And so she smiles and walks away. And then she calls behind her that they call each other in the morning to coordinate the color of their uniforms. Clearly. Clearly. Duh. Sometime later, Jack, Sam, Teal, and the new guy, I mean, Jonas, <laughs> arrive at a hangar at Area 51. They are in awe of a new plane, a new ship, a new glider thing. It's the X-302 hyperspace fighter. Woohoo! It's the first human-built spacecraft capable, theoretically, of interstellar travel. Well, that is if the hyperspace engines work properly. Dr. Larry Murphy gives them a brief tour of this new prototype. Jack has no intentions of test flying this new bird. He remembers his experience with the craft's predecessor, the X-301, which was a hybrid between Gould and human tech, as previously seen on the episode Tangent. The X-302, however, is entirely human-made, just like the Titanic. So it'll all be fine. Right? 
So, why did the new guy come on this trek, especially when nobody else particularly likes him yet? And that's because the hyperspace engine is fueled by the Naquadria, you know, that wacky Naquada <laughs> that he stole from his planet and brought to Earth after the Dr. Jackson incident. We don't want to talk about it, so we just call it the, the incident. incident. Mm-hmm. Now, back at Stargate Command, Jack is still responsible for finding a replacement for Dr. Jackson on SG-1. He is frustrated because he doesn't want some nerd uh, destroying their awesome coolness that they have mm-hmm. going on. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because General Hammond, however... Jackson was totally not a nerd. Psh. He was a cool guy. No. Like O'Neill. He was a cool guy. That's right. He was cool. Smooth. Smooth. Uh, no. Mm-mm. Jackson was a nerd. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he was also cool. Yeah. Um, General Hammond is speaking with Colonel Chekhov, who believes that a Russian officer should join SG-1. And with a heavy dose of O'Neill snark, Jack appropriately considers the idea with comments such as, bite me, and over my rotting corpse. <laughs> Chekhov leaves and Hammond admits to Jack that he probably should have reprimanded him in front of the Russian officer. Still, Hammond's patience on Jack's inability to select a fourth member is wearing thin. Jack needs to make a decision and soon. Jonas arrives in Carter's lab, thanking her for showing him the X-302. He then asks to join SG-1. He wants to help his people by helping Earth, by learning about new places, discovering new things, seeing how the galaxy works, and how his planet's position in that galaxy community can grow. But Carter doesn't see that happening at all. Jonas then goes to the gym to go boxing with Tilt because, you know, that's what you do. Yep. They're both aliens on this earthly planet, and they are trying to bond, or at least Jonas is trying to bond with Tilk. Tilk is just knocking him to the ground. <laughs> Jonas bets Tilk, hey, if I knock you down, you have to talk to Colonel O'Neill on my behalf. Tilk knocks Jonas down again. Wait! I'm not ready. Okay, now I'm ready. Cut to the commissary. Tilk sits down next to O'Neill and invites his CO to consider Jonas Quinn. Does that mean that Quinn knocked down Tilk? The implication is strong there. Because I kind of want... Whatever. Carrying on. I would have loved to see that. That's my point. Now, I suspect that probably what happened, assuming he did knock Tilk down, uh, Jonas, we already know, is quite an intelligent person and is probably able to... Um, uh, you know, kind of learn that that in all of this, that that if he goes to this one particular spot in this one particular way, he can get just the perfect shot to oh, get yeah. the job done. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Um, that's the only way I can think about that happening because otherwise, no. Right. However, they're in the commissary because we're all about tangents. Tangents. This is a Suddenly, Stargate podcast, by the way, though. So this is a Stargate podcast. Well, at least we're tangentially talking about Stargate. That's right. Or anyway, suddenly the klaxons go off, an unscheduled off-world activation. They head toward the gate room. It's Braytac, and he's got news for Teal'c. Drayak is dying, so not good news. Yeah, Teal'c immediately departs with Braytac to check in on his wife. Later, Carter and Jonas are talking about Teal'c and Drayak. Cue a conversation to remind the audience what's happening with Teal'c because we're on a new network and some people may not know all that has been going on. 
Okay, now that we're all filled in on everything, thanks, new guy, for giving us the easy opportunity to talk about details uh, <laughs> that the audience may not know about who's watching at home. Okay, they are all interrupted by Colonel Chekhov, who has just discovered information about the X302 project, and he is really, really angry because the Russian government hadn't been informed about the X302 project earlier. Now, you might not realize this, but he really was mad. But it had nothing to do with the Stargate program. Well, but it uses the Naquadria, which you got from the Stargate program. Okay. Uh, the angry rant continues in Hammond's office, but before they get too far into it, uh, the klaxons go off again. This time, however, there is nothing. No GDO transmission. No one bumping into the iris. Nothing. But strangely, the gate won't shut down. Hammond tells Carter to figure it out. On a planet with a Jaffa camp, you know, this is the camp where Dreyak and Rayak live, Teal and Braytech discuss what's going on. And when they arrive at Dreyak's tent, they are met by a distraught youth who takes one look at his father and spits derision into the face, announcing that his mother has died, and it's all because of Teal. You... Tilk. Ryak storms off, and Tilk is left stunned by the news. Back at Stargate Command, Carter hopes that the gate will just shut down on its own after the 38-minute window ends. Unfortunately, 38 minutes comes and goes, and the wormhole remains open. Okay, now we have a problem. It wasn't a problem before, but now it is a problem. It's just a confirmed problem now. Sure. Now, oblivious to all of the problems happening at the SGC, Teal'c walks into the tent and sees the body of his dead wife, and he breaks down and weeps. Later, he goes out to find his son. In the forest, father and son meet up. The son is ashamed of his father for bringing nothing but hardship and distress to his whole family, for being the harbinger of false hope to countless Jaffa. And in his anger and despair, he draws a staff weapon and challenges Teal'c to a fight of vengeance. He continually strikes his father, who stoically accepts the abuse. Teal'c is just taking the beating, and Ryak yells at his father to fight! But Teal'c does not. Soon, Braytek steps in to stop the youth, and Ryak storms off, not yet ready to let go of his hot, hot anger. Tilk stands watching helplessly. Back on Earth, Carter is running various diagnostics on the gate and discovers an anomaly. Ever so slowly, something is pouring power and energy into the Stargate itself, and it's increasing and when eventually it reaches reaches a certain point the gate will explode and the resulting devastation would likely wipe out all life on earth speaking of asteroids mhm oh and carter has no idea how to stop mhm it's nighttime and as everyone gathers teok lights dreyak's funeral pyre and watches as the fire consume her body Braytek reveals to Teal'c that his son has self-doubts and believes that his father also doubts him. Why? Because his father, that is to say Teal'c, has never said anything contrary to his son. Teal'c goes to his son and sits next to him by the Stargate. Teal'c tells the story of his own brainwashing and reminds his son 
that he has always had confidence in him. They embrace. The struggles are real, but perhaps we have witnessed the beginning of a renewed relationship between father and son. Back on Earth, as numerous scientists and engineers are working on the problem, Carter's life is made more complicated when Dr. McKay, yes, that Dr. McKay, shows up to help. Sam does not want this arrogant man (laughs) to help. And at that, he just quips that he'll just get himself a coffee and a donut and wait for the end of the world. Yeah. Carter still has no idea how to solve the gate problem. However, she does have an idea. She and O'Neill will take the X-302 to Abydos, that's the nearest planet in the whole gate system, and use their gate to attempt to contact the Asgard, and hopefully the Asgard will be able to help them. Unfortunately, the inherent instability of the Nequadria causes the attempt to fail. They created successfully a hyperspace window, but it was unstable. And so, when the X-302 realized it was unstable, it veered off course to prevent a catastrophe. Mm -hmm. They probably would have survived if the X-302 had gone through the the window. However, they would have ended up in some random section of the galaxy all alone with nobody to help them. And that would have made the problem even worse worse. Mm -hmm. So I guess it's a good thing that it failed. But that does mean that Earth is on their own. In the meantime, a Jaffa named Shakrel comes with a Teltec and warns Teal'c and Braytec that Anubis is going to attack Earth's Stargate. They attempt to dial Earth, but they cannot get a lock. And so they turn their attention to Anubis' worlds, Perhaps they can deduce which planet the attack is originating from. And as the episode comes to a conclusion, Sam, Jack, and the whole SGC is interrupted in their machinations trying to figure out what the heck they were going to do with this problem when a giant hologram for Anubis appears on the ramp in front of the gate. I am Anubis. Prepare to meet your doom. Oh, no! Oh, please. (laughs) To be continued. Mm. Previously, on Stargate SG-1. You know all that stuff I just talked about? Yeah. Well, not me, Zach. You know all that stuff that Zach just talked about? Yeah, that happened. But we're going to condense it down into 30 seconds of airtime. Cool? Cool. And now, the conclusion. A few hours later, Dr. McKay and Major Carter discussed the theatrics of the Guawuld, particularly Anubis. Uh, hey, Anubis, this is your agent speaking. You're playing it way over the top. Can you dial it down a little? As they overhear a few scientists blab on about something inconsequential, McKay is given an idea. Let's shoot an EMP blast through the gate to knock out whatever is attacking the gate. Hammond is intrigued by the idea, but Carter says it's not going to work. But with no other options on the table, Hammond gives the order to proceed. Boy, it immediately just goes into the next one. The attempt fails. (laughs) There was a lot that happened in there, but whatever. The attempt fails causes. If you want to, you know, vamp on that, you can. I probably just, you know, I was writing that at that point in time and and I was trying to get quick. No, there's a lot. We'll get into it when we get into it, but there's a lot going on. Yeah, they they build a thing in a short amount of time and they point it in the wrong direction. But you know what? Sam is good. They point it in the right direction and they spin it up and they do the blast doors and lots of lightning, but it fails, causing damage to the gate room and the control room, as well as electrocuting Sam. Oh, no. No, McKay, she's not going to be happy when she wakes up. And the attempt cut their timeline to destruction. 
in half. Oops. Oops. Shakrell, Teal'c, and Braytac are able to deduce which of Anubis's planets holds the location of the attack on Earth. They all climb into the Teltac and head out. Ryak wants to go with them. Teal'c doesn't want his son to go into danger, but Ryak is bold and insists. And so the four Jaffa depart. They arrive at the planet. Teal'c, Braytac, and Ryak ring down. There are plenty of guards there, but they are able to take them out without too much difficulty. Ryak, however, does get hit with a staff blast in his shoulder. Fortunately, he'll be okay. He just experienced his first battle. Shortly after, they discover the location of the strange weapon that is attacking the Earth Stargate. It is immediately evident that this is strange technology. It must be of the builders of the Stargates, the ancients. Anubis has learned how to use this technology, but undoubtedly does not know how to build it. If they can destroy this weapon, they... The, they would, yeah, that's a typo. If they can destroy this weapon, they would undoubtedly protect Earth and other worlds from the use of such weapons going forward. A quick plan is hatched to attempt to destroy the weapon. Ryak must stay hidden as he is wounded and would slow down Tilkin Braytak. But as the other warriors approach the weapon, they discover that it is protected by a force field. They have to attack it from the pathway. Back at the SGC, Carter is in the infirmary. Her, wounded, her wounds tended. McKay comes to pay her a visit. In his attempt to apologize, he offers an explanation as to why he is so cold and aloof. You see, he had a hard childhood, being unloved by his parents. His escape was in music. He loved playing the piano. Music held such precision and order, but he was never an artist. He believes Carter is an artist, and he is jealous of that. It's her creative ideas that will likely get them out of this mess, which has been cut in half after the EMP experiment. Now they have about 25 hours left before the Stargate detonates. Carter and Hammond later meet with two scientists who are throwing ideas against the wall. They could build a containment structure that would meaningfully lower the yield of the blast, but that's not enough to protect life on Earth, and it would take quite a while if everything goes right. Another idea is to blow up the Stargate themselves now. That would reduce the total energy released, but not by a lot. These are not good options. Carter briefly talks with McKay, who tells her that the scientists are morons. He then casually wonders what Jonas is doing in the embarkation room. Carter walks down and talks with Jonas. He's drinking some tea and pondering how the gate was placed in the room to begin with. Carter explains that it came down through a now-covered hole on the ceiling. Jonas wonders if it could also go back up. This statement gives Carter an idea on how they can save the planet. Jonas knew Carter would think of something. A new plan is hatched, and Carter lays it out. The Stargate will be bolted to the X-302 hyperspace fighter. The plane and the gate will then fly out of Earth's atmosphere. The plane will give the gate enough speed to escape the gravity well of Earth, and then it will explode harmlessly in space. Everyone in the room is convinced this will not work, but Carter disagrees. However, nothing will happen if everyone is standing around. Hammond gives the order and tells them to get to work. Colonel Chekhov continues to press for an advantage to the Russian government, telling Hammond that Russia is willing to let the United States continue the Stargate program with the Russian gate, for a price, of course. 
Hammond frustratingly elucidates why that isn't even a consideration. What's to stop Anubis from repeating the exact same attack with the Russian gate? The gate has to remain buried. Back on the planet with the gate weapon, Tilk and Braytac attempt to pass through the path to into the area where the weapon is. They successfully take out the small guard that is at the checkpoint, but are quickly overwhelmed by reinforcements from all sides. Being questioned by Chief Tyrrell, Tilk attempts to protect everyone by remaining silent, but Tyrrell hears whispers from the Lords of Kobol and knows that there is a third attacker. Asking where Ryak is, Tilk grows angry but he is no match for the raw number of Jaffa that hold him prisoner. Later, Ryak grows impatient, waiting for Teal'c and Braytac to return. He sneaks away to learn of their fate. Overhearing Jaffa guards, he learns that Teal'c and Braytac are prisoners, and that the Jaffa are looking for Ryak. He decides to take action by commandeering a death glider and, with stunning precision worthy of a pod racer, shoots down all the guards around Teal'c and Braytac. They're able to free themselves and rejoin the fight. Yay! Back on Earth, Carter gets O'Neill up to speed, though the plane will take every bit of help to get it up to speed. The odds are very long, and O'Neill wishes that he didn't know them, but is thankful for something that resembles a plan. Carter gives credit where it was due, to a degree, letting O'Neill know that it was Jonas who came up with the idea. Perhaps O'Neill should consider letting Jonas on the SG-1 team. O'Neill flies to the base where Dr. Murphy tells O'Neill of the rest of the plan— the long shot gets longer. The X-302 with active Stargate is mounted on the back of a 747. The plan is initiated. The X-302 and 747 reach their target altitude. The plane is released. It begins to climb on its own power. But as the plane ascends, mechanical troubles begin, forcing O'Neill to fire up the rocket motors early. Mission Control watches the velocity and altitude increase. More. More. But it's not enough. The rocket fuel runs out before the craft has reached escape velocity, much less orbital velocity. They really needed to play more Kerbal Space Program because their calculations were way <laughs> off. O'Neill, the plane, and the gate are plummeting toward the Earth, powerless. Except for the gate, it, that's still powered. McKay suggests sinking it in the ocean as a means to lessen the devastation, but Carter rejects it. It would barely dampen the destruction, but McKay snaps that it would be better than nothing. O'Neill suggests using the hyperspace engine. The stability doesn't matter because they simply have to go somewhere that isn't here. McKay thinks this is yet more lunacy because introducing an unstable hyperspace rift to an overcharged active Stargate would have consequences beyond devastating. However, Jonas is listening and he reminds them that the vol volatility of the Nequadria is proportional to the amount of power trying to be extracted. And they don't need a lot of power. With that... Carter and McKay begin to develop a plan to open the, a hyperspace window for a brief moment, using as little power as possible and keeping the entire situation as stable as possible. New parameters are uploaded. The plan is enacted. O'Neill activates the hyperspace engine and punches out. But did he survive? Did it work? Observation planes see that something is exploding brilliantly in the sky. Deep space scans confirm an explosion a million miles away. And then the observation planes see parachutes, and the command capsule is intact. Yay! Splashdown! O'Neill is seen waving. Celebration! McKay is done at the SGC, and he is leaving. Carter responds to his goodbyes by giving McKay a kiss on the cheek. This means she doesn't hate him anymore, which is unfortunate, because when she hated him, she found him more attractive. Remember, boys, the more vile you are, the more she'll like you. Ugh! 
but the action isn't done yet. The ancient weapon still exists, but not for long. Ryak uses his ship to attack the weapon, and though he is under enemy fire, he succeeds. The terrifying weapon is destroyed. Time to come home in a cargo ship. Norad is informed. Everyone's coming home. Sometime later, the Russian Stargate is being installed at the SGC. All it took was some dollars and some plans for the hyperdrive ships and something else. Jonas chats with O'Neill, reminding O'Neill that all Jonas wants to do is prove himself able to help humanity face what is next. Not a day goes by that he doesn't feel responsible for Daniel Jackson's death, and he can't do anything to bring him back, but he can help moving forward. O'Neill considers his words, but says nothing. O'Neill enters Hammond's office, and Hammond tells O'Neill that the something else was a promise to have a Russian military member join SG-1. That won't be necessary, though, because O'Neill has already picked the new member of the SG-1 team. A new day, a new mission, and SG-1 has a go. The newest member of the team jogs in. It's Jonas! In a helmet, but in the right color of green. Colonel Jack O'Neill, Major Samantha Carter... Jaffa warrior Teal'c and scientist alien archaeologist person Jonas Quinn walk through the gate. The end. The end. Uh-oh. You heard that too, didn't you? Yeah, it's about to get a lot worse. I'll uh, jump in when it gets real ugly to let you know what uh, Zach had to say. So, Brent. Yeah. Redemption, parts one and two. Mm-hmm. What'd you think? Boy, there was a lot going on in this one, don't you think? Yes. <laughs> wow, was there a lot going on. And um, not necessarily in a good way. Uh, but on the flip side, it didn't necessarily feel like it was just a pile of jumble. Like, there was a story. And it was, you know, it was it was told. And it was told all right. But when you mentioned that this was kind of a second pilot, that helped me sort of understand this show a little bit more, episode, understand this episode a bit more, because that's that's exactly what it felt like. It felt like another pilot. Um, it felt like we were reintroducing some characters. We were trying to create some more establishment um, for existing characters to small degrees, not by a lot, but you know, a little bit. We were reframing the um, the Stargate program within a new sort of structured crisis, so to speak. So instead of uh, firing up the Stargate program and seeing where it goes and then discovering, you know, that we've got problems with Gould everywhere and then that's sort of our establishment. Now we're kind of firing it up. Uh, you know, it's established, but we're firing it back up and, and it's it's being um, attacked by our new bad guy who shows up and is very menacing. Um, we established that uh, you know we're kind of on our own a little bit on this one. We try to get some help from some some friends that uh, if you are new to the show, you might not you know you wouldn't know who they were, but doesn't matter. You can't get a hold of them, so doesn't matter. You know we're, we're still on our own. We've got some new technology, but within the construct of science fiction, it's, it's perfectly reasonable. It's a it's a it's a super awesome looking fighter jet that uh, or well you know super awesome looking jet thing that can apparently fly to space and then go into hyperspace like you know we see that happen you know what i mean like there's there's a lot of establishing stuff Mm -hmm. that uh is being said we got a new face um that apparently has something to do with the death of a character that was really you know loved by the by their main guys um right so if i were a brand new watcher to the show there's an awful lot that's being set up for me here and 
while still trying to tell a story, a pretty decently compelling story. And so each character kind of had to have something going on to a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, as I'm as I'm kind of thinking through it, I don't think that O'Neill had an awful lot going on other than friction with command. Um, yeah, not even really that. But you know, we see Jonas kind of a little bit kind of growing just a, just a little, but you know, not, not, not growing is not the right word, but we see, you know, like we see, we see a little tiny story with him involved in his, his attempt to try to get uh, accepted by the team. We see um, Carter, you know, a pretty decent amount struggling with trying to understand the situation and having to navigate that with our, you know, the, the clearly pestilent um, McKay. Uh, we have Teal'c, uh, uh, attempting to bond with his son now that his wife has died, mm-hmm. uh, you know, through the, through the guidance of uh, a mentor. Um, and all through navigating a crisis where the whole thing could just get completely blown up. Not, I mean, more than the whole thing, like the whole planet. Yeah. <laughs> like, like if this one fails, then the planet is doomed. And so like, we're trying to save humanity um, all by ourselves. So there's a lot going on. And when you were mentioning that, uh, you know, as it was getting written, uh, the story wasn't even done yet and and it was still 10 pages over. Uh, so this was obviously a two-parter. And then I came back with like, yeah, I can totally see how it needed to be stretched into a two, but it also felt like there were parts of it that got a little long in the tooth. I The, the pacing was a little... I have seen better pacing with Stargate. Um, It was very, very fast paced for almost all of it, except for a couple of weird spots when it seemed like it was getting a little long. And that's why I noticed it. That's why I was like, yeah, it felt like that second episode had to drag out a little bit just to fill up time, um, which is a bummer. And if you didn't compensate for that from the beginning, right? If you didn't have the story and the pacing in your head, from the start, then it, that, that, that might manifest exactly like that, where it's, it's motoring along. There's a lot being said. It's really, really fast. Things are happening in a, at a, at a, at a clip. And then it kind of gets weirdly slow and you got to get through it. And then you're back to the fast action again. And then, and then it wraps up. And, you know, as I was writing the second half of the synopsis, I mean, it was just paragraph after paragraph after paragraph of something else happening, something else happening, something else happening. Um, you know, and each one of these paragraphs was like 90 seconds or, or, or two minutes right. of screen yep. time. Like, I mean, it just was going and going and going. And, uh, you know, there have been times where we've watched an episode where I've said, yeah, there's, there's a lot going on in this episode. And it's a, it's a great thing. Like the energy's up, the story fits. I mean, it's just boom, 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 lots going on, lots going on. And, you know, you have a good time with it. This one, there's lots going on, but it did feel... I don't know. It felt like I was like walking down the aisles of a supermarket. Like there's a lot going on and I got to go find the kidney beans. Where are the kidney beans? Where's the kidney beans? Is it over here? Oh, there it is. Found them. Um, but it required navigating a lot of other stuff. Um, I'm slow to criticize the other stuff because not a, not, there wasn't an awful lot of wasted time. I didn't think that like we, we were, we were stalled out and other things that weren't important. It was just, man, there was a lot going on. So 
I, I don't know. I'm kind of conflicted about how I feel about it. Um, on one hand, I can kind of recognize how this is going to be an important foundational episode. Uh, there's a lot that's getting established here. A lot that's getting established here. We're getting the establishment of Jonas Quinn, obviously. We're also getting the establishment of um, a much more involved Russian presence within the Stargate program, or at least on paper. Um, we have established that humanity is capable of interstellar flight. Whether, you know, like we, attempt number one screwed up, but, um, you know, we're, we're right on that bridge right now. Uh, you know, Anubis is finding new and creative ways to destroy Earth. <laughs> like, asteroid, overload a gate, and there was something else. There's a third one. I can't remember. I'll think of it later. But there was some other kind of clever way to get Earth destroyed without necessarily violating the Protected Planet Treaty. Because it was like a loophole of some kind. I can't remember what it was. Um... Or maybe that was the loophole is that Anubis isn't part of the Gould. He's on his own. He's acting. He's 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 completely rogue. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's fun. It's it's establishing a, a lot of stuff. It's it's the launch on a new network. Uh, it's introducing the show to potentially new viewers. Um, I, having watched the previous five seasons methodically and with careful consideration found this episode to be a bit of a jumble and it might have been possible to tell this story in a way that made a person like me who had watched the previous five seasons feel much less jumbled with it but then it wouldn't have provided as much contextual information for a new viewer there had been a lot more of me getting what's going on but somebody brand new might not so i'm not willing to go to bat to criticize it that deeply that said it did feel like a bit of a jumble that's kind of how i'm feeling about it so sure. what about what about so, you zach how'd you feel so, you know this is an episode you know, this that, is an episode that... all right this is where the audio gets real ugly again but i'll give you a rundown about what zach has to say about this next section let me get my notes here all right so zach says this episode is good but it's not great now the biggest problem that this episode has is that it's got itself a countdown now, we want the tension. Uh, he was quoting Martin Wood here. Uh, we want the tension of a countdown, but see, here's the thing. There's all this stuff that has to happen, and it's got to be realistic, see? So if you're trying to get all this stuff done, you got to make it realistic, and that creates a bit of a problem with your countdown, now, doesn't it? You can't have it all done in 10 minutes. And not only is there a problem within the construct of the story, it's also a problem in real life. There's like an episode and a half of this tension. Whew. Now, Zach was saying by the time that he was getting towards the end of it, he was getting real fatigued with that. You know, just get that problem solved already. Now, I got good news for you, friends. This is pretty much it. If you skip ahead to one hour and about 25 minutes, all those audio problems basically go away. Gets a little crunchy again there. Zach comes back in. The audio is okay, but it starts to clear up real nicely after that. And then it's smooth sailing. So thank you so much for sticking with us. Sorry for these troubles, folks. We'll get it fixed next time. So, so you know, this is an episode. You know, this that is an episode that is is good, but not good, but great. not great. Yeah. Um, this um, is, a, this yeah, is a, an episode uh, yeah, that episode that uh, has uh, a lot of, has a lot of good things in good things in it, but but the biggest problem, the biggest problem with this episode is that we is have that we have countdown. a countdown. 
Mm. I've set up this countdown that's going out to destroy destroy the Earth. Bad. Bad. Mm hmm. And yet, and and, and actually, actually, what's talking about this on the commentary is that, um, um, when you think about when you all think that happens, all that happens in the process in of the this, process of this, you know, there's this you thing know, like there's this thing like you want the tension, you want the tension on this counter, but you also have to be realistic to be realistic because because this you have this 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 then you cut the time in half and you this 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 and this this like this how can you possibly all of that all of that into this much time? Um and so uh, you have to give yourself so you have to give yourself more a little bit more time, a little bit more time, so that it so that it becomes reasonable, reasonable. All these things, all these things could happen, could happen in the time, in the time allotted. But the law, right. but the law you, you have before the disaster, before the disaster occurs, the less the, the less of an imminent threat it becomes in right. terms of our in terms emotional, of our investment. emotional investment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, we learn. And so we learn. Early on, what? Early 15, on, what? 15, 15 minutes into, 15 minutes part, into one. part one, we've got a problem. Mm-hmm. We've got a problem. And we have to hold, we have on, to to hold on to the tension of that, of that for, for, for 20, more minutes. 20 more minutes. Yeah. But for, <laughs> but but an for hour. 50 more minutes. 50 yeah. more minutes. Yeah. Um, and and while, it is while it is necessary for everything else, everything else um, and you um, want you want all of these beats to have, have try this, and not try this, and not try this, work quite right. You want this, yeah. try this, and then it works really badly, and then you want them to try this, and then they come up with the answer that will ultimately save the day. Save the day. But what happens is that you know that tension, that tension, that tension, that tension, that tension of trying to fit everything together just. It's, it's, you know, I think, you know, I think that Martin Wood, cast and crew, cast and crew, audible job, audible job, trying to hold that, but it's a lot, it's a lot for the audience to try to hold on to that tension that long, for that long. And so, and so, my experience, my experience in this episode is that I get a little bit of that tension. Mm-hmm. Um, especially, especially even as it even is as now, it is now, you start to think you start about to think about all the things they did to test things, and you're like, and you're like, you're still you're still pushing, pushing the boundaries of you could do all that you could get all this stuff done in the time that you had. Oh yeah, right, yeah, right. Um, um, now it takes forty five takes forty five minutes to raise the gate the gate of Cheyenne out of Cheyenne Mountain. Okay, Cheyenne Mountain. If you get the Colorado, Colorado. To uh, uh, you know, Nevada. 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 Then you have and to then you have to mount it to your two, and then you have to mount that on to seven forty-seven. And these are not these are not things that take ten minutes apiece. And then and then you have to you know fly out there, fly out there. At that point, time it begins. But then you know. But then you know. All these things. All these things. It's just. Well, then you think about it. Well, then you think about it. Like for the first attempt. This is, so oh, okay, so we could try so this. So then they have to fly from Colorado to Nevada. They have to get in the 302, prep it, fly out in the space. They have to make the attempt. That doesn't work. They have to fly back. Then they have to go from Nevada back to Colorado. And even if you're booking it, which clearly they had to know, the timeline begins to... To, to be pressed a little bit. And you're like, did you get all that stuff done in the amount of time that you had there? Um, um, and and yeah, at the same time, yeah, at the same time, you know, if you pressed it to make the, the, the shorter, the shorter uh, 
ticking clock, ticking clock, then you press that incredulity even more. But now you also but now you also have a ticking clock that's so big that well oh okay it's all bad and we've got a lot of stuff to do to try to fix it. But it's like you know we've got some time we've got some time we don't we don't but we do and so you just got that mix there. There was something pause you just to kind of really illuminate it just because it kind of struck me based off some other media that I'm consuming right now. I'm listening to uh, Marlon James's um, Black Leopard Red Wolf right now. And uh, it's a fantasy book written a couple of, a couple of years ago, whatever. And there's been a couple of times in the book so far <clears throat> when uh, the story moves ahead. Uh, I think in one case it moves ahead like several weeks. And in another case, it moves ahead a f- few years and it does so basically right in the middle of telling the story. Like it's not even a different chapter. It's like bang. And you know, then the next time I saw him was three years later and blah, blah, blah. And now we're three years ahead, like boom, right, right away. Um, and in the book, I'm, re- you know, in the book, it's, it's, it's being done on purpose. I mean, it's part of the story. Um, yeah, I'm I'm only a third of the way through the book, so I suspect that 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 mental jarring that's happening when I'm going through the story, going like, wait, wait, what, what, or, whoa, I'm now three years ahead. Okay, all right, okay, so we're, I guess we're three years ahead now. Um, this episode was not trying to create it, the storytelling didn't depend on creating that jarred experience. There are stories that demand that you create something mentally jarring for the purposes of creating an emotion, because that's what you're driving at. That's your point. This was not an episode trying to do that. And when you, uh, and when you change the scale of time in your storytelling without some kind of a transition of something, it, all it is is just a jarring thing. It's and it's happened a few times within Stargate. I just hadn't really thought it important to talk about. Where like the next scene is somehow established to be several days or even weeks later, but there's nothing other than maybe an exterior shot of soldiers walking back and forth next to the entrance of the mountain that really gives you that firm establishment that we are now several weeks in the future or several months in the future. Um. And that was happening in this episode, too. There was so much that was being, there was so many things that had to be said, and there was so much of each of those moments that depended on time passing. That's why we kept seeing that countdown clock over and over again. That was the only way that they were going to able to tell us, by the way, we're 54 hours into this thing right now. And then you look at it, and you're like, wow, we're 54 hours. And last time we saw a clock, it was 19. And but but we didn't see five seconds of montage. We didn't see fades where people are like, you know, like, you know, making coffee in the middle of the night, pouring over books like, you know, we need at least something that helps us understand that much time has passed. That is more than just glancing at a clock with larger numbers on it. Like, you know, everyone's wearing the same outfit and looking just as fresh as they did five minutes ago. So it's it's a jarring experience. Um, right. And that's that's a criticism that I have right now of, of yep. how this story was being told. Now, all that said, uh, this is an episode or a couple of episodes that have some really great moments in it. Mm-hmm. Um, the I especially liked the relationship as it developed between Tilk and Ryak. 
and how Braytech becomes the mentor to both of them in the mm -hmm. midst of this. Yeah. Um, and just that wisdom of Braytech in the midst of all of this stuff. Uh, and then the that, that uh, conversation that Teal'c and Ryak have as they sit by the Stargate, you know, with the, the flames of the pyre of his wife and his mother um, burning in the background. Mm -hmm. They talk about how much... Um, they mean to each other, specifically how much Ryak means to Teal'c, and that Teal'c trusts him and values him and does not wish to see him doubt himself. Uh, and, and that is just an amazing scene. Mm -hmm. uh, and the rawness of, of Teal'c to open himself up to his son mm -hmm. and say, yeah, you're concerned about this happening when you were 10. Let me tell you about what happened to me two years ago, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, and, and I just loved that scene. And I thought that, that uh, 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 Christopher Judge just did an excellent, excellent job with that. Yeah. Uh, I think they did that in as many as two takes and maybe yeah. even only one. Oh, I mean, but Christopher Judge is proving himself to be an incredibly capable actor. Right, um, but he doesn't get very many opportunities as Teal to to delve, delve into yeah. this kind of emotion, and you see that several points in this episode uh, when he, you know, when he sees Dreyak lying there dead, and he has that moment and he just breaks down. It's like, mm -hmm. dude, you got chops there. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and you know, and they were able to do that in the look so that we didn't have to see. Uh, Dreyak, which is great because then you know they didn't have to pay for an extra actor um, right. to be a dead body. Um, but then you know we could, but we could, we were drawn into that place and that emotion uh, very, very well in both of those spots. Um, you know the the interplay between Teal'c and Jonas as they're boxing. Uh, I mm -hmm. mean that was a quintessential Teal'c thing, and yet you got to see how the other alien is going to play off of him. And how Teal'c can uh, mentor Jonas in trying to find a space in this place that is not home. Because mm -hmm. both of them are in a place that is not home. Um, and so that was lovely. I loved that. That was great. Um, you know, you, then you had, you know, Jonas Quinn just being this um, almost foolishly, uh, foolish, almost a foolish boxer. You know, you just like bouncing, you know, he's hitting the ground, he bounces back up. Yeah, He's yeah. just moving his arms back and forth, and, and it's like, you have no idea what you're doing, and, and yet you're just <laughs> jumping into it full throttle. Yep. Um, you know, so like, you look at all of the beats, and I really appreciate them. They're really good. Um, the, the interplays between Carter and McKay are really well the one that I don't like is when she gives him a kiss at the end and says too bad you were cuter when I didn't like you yeah uh, I that was hated very that. very problematic at the least um so barring that if you just took that scene out or that little bit sure. I'm not certain I'd have to watch it again to see how much I would want to cut out um but but at the very least just you know beyond that um uh, I really appreciate it I liked their interplay. Uh, yeah. You got to see the jerk that is McKay, but you also got to see the jerk that is McKay begin to grow and develop. 
and you could see. So you didn't even need that comment. Like, I liked you a little bit more when I hated you. Uh, because you could tell throughout the rest of it that, yeah, she hated him. But there was also something there that was that they could move forward with and build an actual relationship on as at least colleagues. Um, you know, so, mm-hmm. and all of that happened without having to have that last scene. So cut that last scene. Yes. Um, because as you mentioned in, in, in your, your quip in the, the, the synopsis, mm-hmm. that's just, <laughs> that's bad. <laughs> that's Don't dudes that. women right there. Like I've never, I've never had a genuine conversation with, with, with a woman where they said, you know what I really like? I really like it when a guy's creepy. Never. Yeah, never. Nope. Never. Nope. Nope. You know what so, I really, really like it? I like it when they are completely dismissive to me and completely just shut me down. That really makes it awesome. I love working in an environment like that. So good. Nope. Yeah. Nope. Doesn't nope. happen. No, that doesn't happen. Nope. Um, so if I can take that scene out, if I'm allowed to do that, because I think the rest of it holds together without that. And I think that the, the relationship between them works better without it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm still firmly in the camp of if I never see McKay ever again for the rest of my life, I'll be fine with it. I get it. I will. I get it. They're going to make this character different. And many will say better and good. I'm glad to watch that. But like, you know, as he was sitting on the bed talking about why, like, I should pity him. I'm like, nah, yeah, you're just, you're just a, and, and, and Carter was basically kind of saying it right back at him. Like, no, this is inexcusable. This is inexcusable. You're a jerk. This is inexcusable. And it is, it's inexcusable. He's like, well, but you know, like I had a really hard childhood. Doesn't matter. And you know, like, I'm really jealous of you. Great. You need to grow up. (laughs) <laughs> you need to be a functioning human. And, you know, great. I'm, uh, you know, I, I trust that the story is going to, the character is going to get better. And the actor's still just completely killing it. I, I mean, like, he's doing a great job making me go at, look at a character, go, I, this character can walk off the face of the earth and I wouldn't be sad. Um, like, it's, it's, that part's working out beautifully. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now in this second, I'm still, I mean, it's less, it's less galling than when I first saw McKay, but he hasn't, I mean, he's, he, Brent is not yet anywhere close to being like, well, you know, there might be something to this guy. I believe you, but I'm not there right now. Sure. I am interested to see, um, how your responses to McKay evolve. Sure. Uh, as we learn, I mean, we will, I don't, I can't remember for sure if we see him again in. Yeah, that was also kind of crossing my mind. Right. Like I was like, Um, yeah, I remember we were talking about him being a presence in Atlantis. He is in Atlantis. It might be, I think without, without having to go into details, without going back into things, I think we don't see him again until Atlantis. Fine. Uh, We might see him one more time, but I can't remember for sure. Sure. Um, so when we get to that point and we see then McKay on a daily basis uh, being McKay and I think growing, um, uh, still always being, you know, an arrogant person. I um, did. I did like the lines that were written between McKay, the outsider and Quinn, the outsider. Yeah, like that those couple lines were fun. I like that a lot. 
crossing fingers. Yeah, it's some superstition to give people. It's ridiculous, right? Like, you know, like that. <laughs> I like that one, and and you could only have that with the dialogue between two outsiders. Yep. Yep. Um. So yeah, when it's all said and done, there are a lot of things in this episode uh, that work well. The relational elements of this episode work really well, and the story holds it together in a way that is uh, believable, mm-hmm. uh, within the Stargate universe believable, right? Um, but yet there's also that, that je ne sais quoi, to bring out my very little bit of French. <laughs> so uh, little, you don't even know what it is. I don't have any idea what that is. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what. <laughs> Sorry. Carry on. Carry on. Uh, <laughs> I crack myself up, man. Tell you yeah, what, no, you, you got you got you got it you gotta do it. Anyway, anyway, so anyway. so it brings uh, about that little je ne sais quoi. You know, there there's something that doesn't quite make the whole episode good or or great. Um but a lot of the beats in themselves are really I really appreciate. Yeah. And so you know, how do I put all those together? I don't 100% know. I have a strange analogy that I think might work. Hit me up. I don't know if you've had the, I think it's, is it Peruvian dish paella? Anyway, it's basically stir fry with a whole lot of stuff in it. But um, all the different stuffs are discreet to themselves and also work in the whole. And I don't think that we had a paella dish in this one. We had a bunch of stuff and it was all mixed in together, but it didn't really come together as a single whole. And all these, all these, all these bits were fine. And, and none of the bits, it's not like we were trying to get like candy corn in a green salad. I mean, like it, it, it all works together. Uh, you know, or uh, better said, nothing is, nothing is directly conflicting with something else to be terrible, but it didn't really gel. And it might be the privilege of knowing when a Stargate episode actually does gel because we've seen it. Right. And this just didn't hit the mark. And so we're looking at it going, it didn't really do it. Um, You know, that might literally just be the only difference. Um, And again, it's, you know, who can tell I can't anymore. It might be vaguely interesting if somebody else uh, got introduced to Stargate, but instead of starting at episode one, they started here. Like it might be vaguely interesting to see, to hear what they had to say as hmm. a first impression of the show starting here. Um, because like, I didn't think about it until you said it. This, this is kind of a second pilot and it, it kind of, kind of feels like one. It, it feels like a second pilot it, where it has distinct advantages in that the voices of the characters are pretty well known and the direction of the show is pretty well known. And there's a whole lot of seasoned, there's, there's a lot of familiarity with the world so that you can tell a great story and quickly. Uh, so it's not like a pilot at all in that sense, but you know, it's, 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 an, it's an introduction in a lot of ways. And I don't need to be introduced. So as a result, the time spent introducing stuff felt unnecessary. And that then demanded these weird time compression stuff things, right? You know, without, without, without the benefit of time dilation. So, um, yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, that was basically oh, it. Okay. So I was just thinking, 
I agree with you, and yet I find, what I find interesting is that as you were talking, like, it was those places that were, we were being introduced to the characters, though, that I found most compelling. When we were introduced to who Tilk was by seeing him interact with his son, uh, I found that more compelling than other pieces. Uh, we had, you know, learning uh, who Carter is and how she feels the significant pressure to be the smart one, to come up with the crazy answers that solves mm-hmm. the problem. Uh, mm-hmm. And how that leads to a certain amount of fear and anxiety for her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, that I appreciated a lot. Uh, you know, the the new guy Jonas, as he's trying to fit in with this uh, new place that he doesn't really understand, uh, and he's just trying to find a place and deal with issues that, that you know his own shortcomings and trying to make up those uh, from failures in the past. Um, that became interesting. So, you know, there's not a whole lot with, with O'Neill really in this regard as we talked, although you do get a lot of snark, and I appreciated yep. the snark. Yeah. Uh, so when we look at the... This, this is what I find interesting, is that those elements that are the reintroduction of characters and setting are ones that I really enjoyed, and yet it's the storyline beyond that that uses to glue it together. I actually like that too. But mm-hmm. there's something else. Yep. I had this thought, thank you for reminding me, that this story that we had told in two episodes, I think would have worked much better as like maybe a seven episode arc. And I don't mm. mean that we spend seven episodes on this. I just mean that, that, um, uh, you know, I'm not exactly sure how you would narratively introduce the problem of a blowy uppy Stargate over that many episodes, but you know, let's set that one down for just a second. But um and and in no way am I suggesting that we should do episodic format of an entire episode on the introduction of Jonas, an entire episode on the exploration of Teal and his family, an, an entire episode on Carter needing to be the best one in the room. Like I'm not saying it like that. I'm just saying, look, we need we needed more time in each of those things in order to let this stuff gel and connect. Mm-hmm. And you cannot do that in 45 minutes. They didn't try. They then tried to do it in 90 and. It felt like they were going long in some parts, but it was because they were still trying to tell something episodic. They were trying to get a start, a middle, and an end within two episodes and hit all these beats and move the story forward and reestablish the world. Yeah. And as I'm thinking about it, I'm like, if you'd spent more time on all of these things, you would have had to spend, you'd had to have committed to the season arc story, which, you know, we're not there yet. I mean, we are there in some respects, but we're not quite there yet in other ways. And then I think you would have been able to set the stage so that you can have these rich character moments being told within a story that feels like it has a place as opposed to all of these stories trying to get jammed into a crisis that has to be plausible, which then makes it a little bit peculiar, which then introduces different problems, which then makes the narrative kind of clunky, which then gets us to the end of it and us going, I don't know, it's good, but it, Kind of was lacking something. Right. Lacking, so I'm just thinking cohesion. about um, Deep Space Nine. Mm. And, you know, there are a couple of different times within the series at late where they have uh, um, a six or seven episode story arc. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I think the first one, the first one, the one that I'm thinking about specifically comes at the beginning of, I think, season six, uh, where they have just recently lost uh, control of Deep Space Nine, and they have the Dominion War, and they have to try to win Deep Space Nine back. Mm -hmm. And so then you go through uh, six different stories that work to, you know, so the problem of this arc is that they're not on the station, and they need to try to get the station back. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have lots of stories that work to move in that direction, mm-hmm. um, but are their own stories in and of themselves, and it's been too long since I've watched it to remember that specifically. And what I'm hearing you say, it, this would have been better, perhaps, if they had thought outside of the box a little bit more and maybe made this issue of this problem be the problem of a seven ep- six episode arc Maybe. for instance yeah. and uh within this you have different beats that are happening as they're struggling with this yes and you can dig into them so it's not yes. like this is the episode um that we deal with teal and this is the episode that we deal with carter and this is the episode that we deal with jonas but within the, you know this becomes the the arc that we're dealing with these beats woven in together. And certainly you'd have an episode that focuses on uh, maybe the attempt to get to Abydos. I don't know. Right. You know, uh, one that focuses on uh, the infiltration of Anubis's planet with this device on it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so you have those. And of course, within that, you have interwoven other elements that remind you that these things are happening together. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is exactly the type of thing that Deep Space Nine did in the, those episodes. Yep. Um, now that would have been that would have been right around this time. Yeah, but it also would have been radical. So if I were, you know, we have to remember that the Stargate team, the team that's bringing a Stargate, they got they got the green light to do this back in '96 or seven. Um, I think and- the first episode was '97. And they are enjoying a lot of success within the episodic framework. Um, you know, we had a chat with Joe Malazzi where he was like, I like working within episodic television. You can do different things. You're, you, can, you can have the episode that's a horror show. You can have the episode that's a space western. You can have the, the one where it's a comedy. Like, you know, like you're allowed to do it. Right. And, and you're able to do that. You're able to make those changes every single week because you're in episodic format. The minute that you switch over to a season arc, it's it's a marvel and it's quite a treat whenever it's done right. Um, but you're kind of jammed in to keep that emotion stable through lots and lots and lots of minutes of television. Right. Now you and me yeah. now, we're used to that. Like I'm used to watching a TV show that is basically a six hour long movie, basically. I literally um, just did that with the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, there you go. which is a six episode TV series, which is basically just a six-hour movie broken into six right. parts. Yeah, and um, it's working fine. And you know, like I think that I, I, I'm not, I'm not criticizing that format. But in 2002, that would have been just freaking forward thinking. I mean, that's like that would have been like, what you're doing? What now? Um, especially if you're working with a group of people that know how to write episodic TV and they know how to do it right. Like, like I said, like we've seen it done. That's part of the reason why I'm a little bit harsh on this particular pair of episodes. I've seen this team do this, and they've done it successfully. This one wasn't all that successful. But um, 
yeah, you and me spitballing, being critics, we're, 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 we're sitting here like, this story probably would have been better served with a little bit more breathing room. And they didn't give it the breathing room it needed. And so it still technically hit the marks, but it didn't, it, uh, you know, the, the wine didn't get poured into a decanter. Like we, mm-hmm. we, we put it into glasses right away and served it up. And it's like, mm, it's good, but it's got a bit of a, got a bit of a zing to it. Well, it would have mellowed if it had time to breathe. Um, you know, it, it, this story probably would have, would have gelled if it had a little bit more room to breathe. Yep. Okay. I think, Brent, that we should move on. Moving on. Because Moving we on. could continue talking about these same things again, but uh, it'll be more interesting to see what other people have to say I about agree. this episode. So, before agree. we can do that, however, we mm-hmm. need to give it our predictions. Oh, I'm stretching. Stretch. Oh, okay. Is this a seventh inning right. stretch? Is that what we're talking about? Take me out to the ball game. Um, predictions, How yes. How many chevrons do you give it? I give Redemption Parts 1 and 2 a favorable, but not so good. It's a (laughs) five-chevron episode because it's good, but not great. For it's three, four, five runs, and then it is all but something else that rhymes with great. Hate? No. Mate? No. Great. Whatever. It's five. Five out of seven for me. It's... it's, (laughs) Um, I can tell that it's important. I'm confident that there's going to be parts in this episode that are foundational to the story going forward. Not least of which Jonas, the establishment of Jonas, like we're establishing his vibe right now. His vibe is very optimistic and laid back and creative. And, you know, he is wanting to be the glue uh, to help things out. Like he, he's emanating this kind of like can do attitude, um, which I like, uh, and you know, sitting there with his thermos of tea uh, or whatever, his little <laughs> mug of tea, um, yep. like, like, good stuff. Uh, and we also had a ton of exposition happening in this episode that that you know we have better tech, we are able to kind of figure this stuff out on our own, even though it's kind of, I mean, we kind of had to blow up half of our available Stargates to do it. So there's a lot of good stuff that happened in here, but as you and I have talked a lot about right now, it didn't quite jammed together it didn't really do a good job becoming one story uh so as a result i'm saying it's fine definitely worth your time but i've seen stargate do better so i'm only giving it five yep what about you i um pretty much i'm going to also give it a five and Mm -hmm. give it for the same reasons you did uh this is a it's good but it's not great uh it's important uh it hits a lot of beats that are good it's just is missing for me that something that that is getting it all to mix together well. Mm-hmm. So I will say five. All right. There you go. We have several predictions. Oh, boy. Right. I'm sure we do. And let's see here. Let me find our predictions. That'll get me there. Okay. So we will start with uh, Dan. Hi, Dan. Um, this may be Dan's first prediction. I don't I rec- don't remember. If Dan, if, if this is, is your first time, welcome. Welcome. Yep. All right, he says, so this episode was kind of weird for me. This mm-hmm. was the first, quote, new episode I watched, as I didn't have Showtime at the time. Mm-hmm. I had been watching the series in syndication, but I was a season behind due to the release schedule. Oh, yeah. Imagine my surprise when, wait, what, Daniel's dead? Who's this new guy, Jonas? 
what the heck is going on? I figured out what happened eventually, but you can imagine my expectations going through season uh, six on Friday night without knowing anything about season five, which yeah. I watched on the following Saturday night. Yeah. Woo. Don't okay. Anywho, Redemption. The de- debut of the 302. Yippee! Yep. If only it had phasers. Yeah. <laughs> Anubis <laughs> takes down the shot at Earth. Meh. Foiled by a teenager with no experience. McKay's back. We're getting there. Yeah. It's a good start to what is, I promise, the best to come. Showtime set the foundation. Sci-Fi took this and built a skyscraper out of it, becoming nice. the best show on the network. This is a solid four and a half out of four and a half to five episode. Yep. Welcome to the big time, he says. Yeah. There you go. Nice. Um, he doesn't quite specifically tell us what he would predict us, but you know what? We're in lockstep with you. We're, there, we're, we're, we're in that zone. We are absolutely in that zone. Um, so we have a response to that. Carrie says to Dan, I started mm-hmm. watching when it went to sci-fi, so I was watching the first five seasons while also watching season six new episodes. It took me a couple of rewatches to really figure out a few things. Mm-hmm. There you go. All right. Sean says. Hi, Sean. Part one was clearly scripted for Sam to be passive-aggressive towards Jonas so he could casually come up with the roof idea to redeem himself. Mm-hmm. It was just weird. Love how Jonas doesn't notice or care. Yes, we know oh, that's Neil true. with two yeah, L's Jonas. doesn't like Russians enough. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah. Uh, it is worth knowing. So there is a scene in there where I think it's the scene where Jonas goes to Carter's uh, lab, and mm-hmm. Carter is especially cold to him in that scene. Mm-hmm. And what ended up happening in that is, you know, they filmed things out of order. And when they were filming that, they did not expect to use the footage that they ended up using earlier in the episode, uh, where Carter had a much more um, uh, a, a warmer response to, to Jonas. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until they were watching the final cut of things that they that that uh, Martin Wood saw that and was like, "Oh, yeah, that doesn't work wonderfully." Mm-hmm. But at that point in time, they couldn't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. It was already in the can. Already said so. and done. All right. Sean then predicts that part one will get three chevrons and part two four chevrons. Which yeah, I don't. I wouldn't argue with that. Uh, Kimberly. Hi, Kimberly. Brent, you're going to give this four out of seven chevrons, and Zach is going to give it five. Brent will be salty about losing Daniel for Jonas, which will affect his rating. (laughs) Uh This is independent of the toastiness of his bagel in the morning. I did have a Zach, too, will be salty, but he knew this was coming. (laughs) Yeah. I will will absolutely admit that the scene, sort of the, I guess it was sort of the opening scene where, you know, we start off uh, taking a look at the Weather Channel. And we kind of pan around the room, the opera, and then all the records in the in the shelf. I was looking at that, going, "That's Daniel's office, Jonas. You get out of there." <laughs> like, <laughs> I was feeling the petulance, but I'm also like, "Let's just let this thing play out. Let's just, it's gonna be fine." Yeah, there you go. Um, you know, so on the fi- in the final analysis, I I like Jonas Quinn. Mm-hmm. I think when it's all said and done, uh, I liked uh, Daniel more. Sure. But I like Jonas Quinn. I think he mm-hmm. adds a different flavor um, yeah. 
some in some ways it's too similar to Daniel. In other ways, you know, I don't know. It's it's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of hate towards Jonas online, mm-hmm. and I never experienced hate towards him. Yeah. Uh, even if I wished that we had Daniel back. Mm-hmm. All right. We have Caleb now. This is from Hi, Caleb. An email. We've got some emails now to go. Ah, yes. Caleb says. These were some of my favorite episodes, SG-1. Uh-huh. Uh, as much as some might not like to hear it, but for the time, I think... Before the time, I think Jonas is a great character to take over for Daniel. Great mm-hmm. to see the jump in technology for mm-hmm. Earth with the X-302 and the return of Dr. McKay. I know he seems to be a jerk now, but Brent will see in time why he's a favorite character in the Stargate universe. We'll see. There are a lot of people who really like McKay as a character, Uh uh, even Uh if they might think that McKay as a character is also a jerk. Uh, There's this love-hate thing going on. Oh, he's compelling, man. This character is compelling. Uh, Caleb predicts that I'm going to give this a seven, and you're going to give it a six. Oh, yeah, no. We've got people all over the place on this one. Yeah. Awesome. We have Aunt Susie. Hi, Aunt Susie. Hi, Aunt Susie. Redemption Part 1 and 2 Chevron ratings. Personally, I needed this episode to further acknowledge Daniel Jackson's loss to the team, and I think they did a fairly good job of it in subtle ways while still moving the team and story forward. I would agree with that. She Mm -hmm. continues. After three months, Jack's reluctance to choose a fourth team member or even talk to Jonas, as well as Sam's pushback when Jonas engages her, were revealing of their continued grief and sense of loss. On percent. Teal'c sparring with Jonas was a good visual metaphor for how mm. some fans felt about the Jonas character's culpability in Daniel's death. This scene was also indicative of Jonas's character, like a clown punching bag. When he gets slapped down, he just bounces right back up. That's a that's a good read. I, I, I like, like that, that read. read. I like that read. Uh Point three, bringing Rodney McKay back was a good way to to deflect annoyance with Jonas onto someone else even more annoying. Rodney is always up to the task. (laughs) Good old Rodney McKay. If you need somebody to hate, just bring in McKay. It'll be easy. So... That's great. This is perhaps a little bit of a spoiler, but we've got several years before we get there. But one of my favorite lines that McKay ever uh, delivers is it's mm-hmm. in an Atlantis episode. And he's dealing with some guys who are causing problems. And, of course, McKay comes up with this idea. And the idea doesn't work as well as he wants it to do. And sure. he's being pressed by the bad guys, and he makes a quip, something to the effect that, I don't know if you noticed this, but I'm an incredibly arrogant man, and I think all of my plans are going to work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and, and I didn't do my recreation here justice, but that line uh, in that was just something that, that just uh, I really appreciated, and I just, just loved it from McKay, that, that there you go. realization of who he is, that self-realization. Yep. Uh, Anyway, Aunt Susie continues. Mm -hmm. My only season six gripe was that the writer's replacement character for Daniel was culpable in Daniel's death. At the end of the episode, Mm. Jonas finally acknowledging his fault to Jack went a long way in helping rehabilitate Mm. the character for me. Hmm. 
Okay. Hmm. Um, that's an uh, that's also kind of an interesting read. How would people feel if the character that ended up replacing Daniel had nothing to do with Daniel's death? Interesting. Because as it stands, he has lots to do with Daniel's death. Yep. Uh, Extra points, she says. The humor Uh between Sam and Jack was really wonderful, and the X-302 hyperspace fighter. Awesome! Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Always fun to add in new toys when they immediately, which they immediately destroy. Yes. (laughs) Kaboom. Kaboom. Indeed. Uh, I'm going to give this a nice solid five, and Mm -hmm. I think Brent and Zach will too, mainly because I don't have a clue how they'll really rate it. Well, but if but if we're going with fives, then technically, Aunt Susie, you got it right on the nose. Susan, you nailed it. You got our predictions just right. Woo-hoo! Perfect. Awesome. Woohoo! Go team. All right, we have one more prediction, and this comes yes. from our good friend David. Hi, David. He says, "Prepare to meet your Chevron encoding bias buffer." <laughs> Wait a minute, that's Asgard technology. How did David figure that out? You know, very carefully. Oh. He he lives in California. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Is that where the Asgard live? Sure. It's, it's, it's not all far this from time. Roswell, uh, New Mexico. Oh, oh, <laughs> all this time, the Asgard have actually been in, like, the North Bay. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. oh, the replicators are actually like, you know, like from Oregon. <laughs> I believe it. That tracks. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's why the, that's why that's why everything crashed in the Pacific. I mean, it's just, just was right there. <laughs> there you go. All right. Here's oh, what David boy. has to say. Yes. I'm going to treat this as one episode for my review and prediction purposes. Yes. Well, that's how we treated it. So you're that's how we that did one. it. That's right. So, Earth is once again under attack from some ghoul who's threatening to wipe out the Earth. Must yep. be Thursday, I guess. Mm-hmm. Despite this seeming like a story we've seen before, what with attacking the gate to cause havoc, I liked this episode. One mm-hmm. interesting twist is that there are two parties working on a solution to the problem, each without knowing mm-hmm. what or even if the other side is doing anything. On That's Earth, they're point. looking yeah. for ways yeah. to shut down the gate or just get help, while Tilk and his plucky team of Jaffa are looking for a way to shut down this latest weapon. They mm-hmm. both ultimately succeed without knowing what the other side has done, and yeah. the Earth and the SGC are saved once again. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. is a good point. We didn't talk about yeah. that specifically, but that no. is a, that's a good story point. Uh, there's also some nice stuff about repairing relationships after tragic deaths. SG-1 loses Daniel, and they have to heal and move on. Teal'c loses his wife, Dreyak, and has to repair his relationship with his son, Ryak. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, just saying, I, I need to read that again uh, as, as he wrote it. SG-1 loses Daniel, and they have to heal and move on. Teal'c loses his wife, Ak, Dreyak, who has to repair his relationship with his son, Ak, Ryak, with the help of his father, Ak, figure, Ak, Braytak. <laughs> Good stuff, Ak. <laughs> Thanks, Zach. Well, no, I mean that—that's what Dave wrote. Dave wrote that, so so there I, you go. And I'm acknowledging that your name also ends with an Ak. Ah, the Ak, the Ak. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, Brentak. 
Brentak. Yeah, that's bad. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then there's the Russians. He continues. We have to deal with and the loss of another Stargate. Of course, the solution to that problem is good old American dollars. Awesome. Yep. All that and the X302 and Rodney McKay too. All in all, a good start to a new season. We get a nice opening threat from Anubis, a start to the transition from Daniel to Jonas, and we bring the Russians into the fold. All good. Maybe not great, but very good. Brentak. Did he really write that? He did. <laughs> and I hadn't read that far when I mentioned Brentak early on. <laughs> Five chevrons because he liked yep. it, but thought Anubis was a bit melodramatic and did yeah, not live up true. to his hype yet. The X302 well, so was cool, though. Yeah. Zack. He does Are you kidding? Too. Did he do that? Did he really do that? <laughs> he did. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Uh, he predicts five and a half chevrons from me because the yep. was awesomely melodramatic and he liked the bit of character <laughs> development we got. Gotcha. That's fair. Very I, close. I do I do really appreciate Anubis's melodrama. Uh, Anubis's melodrama works for me in a way that uh, the Guawuld from Sentinel last season did not, mm. and the way even a new uh, Apophis's melodrama doesn't quite work for me. Mm-hmm, but I appreciate mm-hmm. this from Anubis; it just works for me. Prepare to meet your doom. Well, okay then. How about next Thursday? Does next Thursday work for you? Uh, you know, next Thursday is a little bit busy for me. Can we go Friday? Mm. No, Friday doesn't work. Um, oh, okay. Well, what about like, uh, well, hang on. Hang on. Oh, hang mm-hmm. on. Subjugate that. We're not, I uh, can squeeze oh, you um, in on Sunday afternoon at 1.30. But if you can't get it done by 2.30, then we're going to have to figure something else out. No, we won't be able to get it by 2.30. So how about, um, I, I, gosh, I, I, I hate to do this to you, but it looks like the next time I can subjugate your planet is in like three weeks. Does that work? Uh, you know, there, there's some there's some tough stuff that's happening in three weeks. I can try to squeeze you in, but I can't make any promises right now. We'll have to talk again. Like, can you can you me call like like next week and we try like, like I'll be uh, my my calendar will be more clear. What's happening in in three weeks? In one week from now? Gotcha. Can we do you that? know what? That's that sounds fine. We'll we can we can okay. table this. All Planet right. subjugation is a tricky thing. Let's not do it wrong. Let's let's take uh, the time we, to do it right. Yeah, I totally agree. We got to do this right. Gotta do it We're right. Do this. That's right. We got to commit. <laughs> so Brent, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the next episode of Stargate SG One is entitled <laughs> Descent. Uh huh. And I will give you a hint. It's nothing to do with the descent into madness that we have just fallen into. Mm, so you think. Oh, okay. So mm-hmm. tell me, dear friend, what is descent all about? Oh, I know exactly where we're going with this one. Next time on Stargate SG-1, the SG-1 team travel through the gate to find themselves in a strange world. Now, you and I, dear viewers, understand that this episode is all about allegory. And what is the allegory about? The strange machinations inside the minds of two people that seem to think that it's a good idea for them to be talking ad nauseum about the show and its impact on the cultural and science fiction events of the early 2000s. In fact, the show goes so far as to have the hubris to think that their flighting thoughts, flitting thoughts even, uh, 
about all sorts of matters, both germane and not to the show, have any bearing whatsoever, and that people actually want to hear what they say. Things that get said are as lunacy-inducing as talking about whether or not you can subjugate a planet on a Thursday versus a Sunday. And if you can't get it done by 2.30, then you might as well punt it for a month. Friends, there is nothing about this show that should give you any indication that there is an assemblance of coherenceness in the least. In fact, if you think for a moment that this absolutely makes some kind of sense, then you too must be going strangely mad. Join us next time on Stargate SG-1 as we have Descent. Descent, Descent. Join us next time. We'll talk about Descent. Uh. Hey, Zach. Yes, yes. Do we go slowly crazy in the next episode? So... I think that you have gotten the plot line for this episode so perfectly, we don't even need to watch the promo anymore. Oh, we just we could just skip that whole part, eh? Okay, that was me being facetious and snarky. So we should watch what David did. <laughs> uh, we should. I gotta. Oh, there it is. Okay, yes, we should totally watch what David did. Okay, I am hitting play now. Next time on Stargate SG-1. Looks like your analysis was right, Sam. It's dead in space, but completely intact. A seemingly abandoned gold mothership appears in Earth orbit. Are you seriously what? considering salvaging this ship? Why, yes I am, Jacob. But for SG-1, things are not always as they seem. The ship is operational, but before they left, they initiated a self-destruct sequence. Is there any hope for escape when danger lurks around every corner? Oh, wait, what? Jafar Ninjas! Jafar Ninjas! Earlier this morning, approximately 0800 hours, NORAD tracked meteors. They entered the Earth's atmosphere and landed somewhere in the North Pacific. It's all next time the on Stargate SG-1. Oh, underwater time. They'll be dead if we don't. We can't leave them in there to drown, Jake. We have to do What something. the hell you think I'm trying to do, Major? Not let them drown? Ooh, awesome. That's fantastic. I am looking forward to watching that. So that is a descent. Mm-hmm. I do want to give special thanks to David for putting together yes. the promos. It is Thank you, awesome. David. We love them every time. Yes, we do. Absolutely. So, undoubtedly, we missed something in our thoughts and comments and critiques and, and ravings and rantings of lunacy in this episode. You think? So, tell us <laughs> what we got right and wrong and missed and all of those things. Uh, you can email us at walkingthroughthestargate.gmail.com. Of course, follow us on Twitter. Talk to us there at Stargate Walking or, of course, the Facebook page, Walking Through the Stargate Facebook page and group. All those things, or join us on Patreon if that's your thing, if that's your bag, yep. if that's what you want to do. All those things, wonderful. With all that, I say, I'm Zach. And I'm Brent. And this has been Walking Through the Stargate. See you next time. Bye. Carter, dial it up. Get these people home.